Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. We're back. We're back at 10 a.m. just like we said we would be. A pleasant and good and happy hump day to you. I'm Trace Fowler. This is Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. Elliot Rearing wrote this whole entire script. <laughs> so who knows where this is going to take us. But here we go. The Cincinnati Reds are alive. He wrote that. He wrote that. I don't know if he believed it, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. The Cincinnati Reds are alive. Reds beat the Cleveland Guardians 11-7. to It's a pretty ugly game from at least Hunter Green. He went three innings, eight hits, seven earned runs. We'll get into that and how that is even possible in just a moment. It's just like it's a feast or famine with that guy, it seems. Goes out and looks like a Cy Young candidate. The next outing, he looks like he basically is Luke Weaver 2.0. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on with Elliot here. He just, he just, he, this guy, this guy, he, I can't, he can't figure out where Well, just, you got to read it like it's supposed to be read. So let's go right here. Let's, let's start right here. If, if he has been go, pretty solid. Go ahead, go ahead. Chat, listen to me. If you go off topic for a half a second, Elliot is all over the place. He's scrolling up and down trying to figure out where I'm at, what I'm doing. If he just stopped and leave it there, we'd be just fine. But no, no, no. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I can't wait till the big boss gets in this chair. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to probably have to get back to the old uh, – I'm going to have to get back to the old precursor here. Otherwise, I can just see Tom just – well, what are we doing? Start it over. Run the intro again. <laughs> We've done that before. All right. Anyway, the story of the game, to get back on track here, was the offense. I've been begging, pleading for, for, for at least a month that this offense needs to start being the reason they win. That needs to be the reason they win. And that's just what happened last night. Little shades of June. Reds hit five home runs. Two of them were by one guy. Some local media said he should be benched. Some said that he was overthinking on Twitter last night and got crushed. Ellie De La Cruz hit two moonshots. I mean, one of them is 460 feet. Went off the bat at 119 miles an hour. It's the hardest hit ball in the Reds StatCast era. We'll get into the StatCasts and all of that in just a bit as well. Luke Maley. CES and TJ Friedel would join in on the home run parade. TJ Friedel has now hit four consecutive games with a home run. He's got three more to tie the franchise record with Joey Votto. The bullpen, they look like themselves thankfully again last night. They went six innings, didn't allow a run. Diaz shut the door for the Reds to stay alive. One game at a time. Just one game at a time. The fun part of the night happened uh, immediately following the Reds game. The Cubs. The Chicago Cubs. The run differential champions of 2023 held a 6-0 lead, which was the best in baseball for the night. They lose to the Atlanta Braves 
Seven to six. Started off just slowly but surely. The Braves would take, uh, they chip away, as they say. They chipped away. Scored three, and uh, I believe it was the bottom of the seventh. Scored, scored two, I think, in the bottom of the, uh, excuse me, three in the bottom of the sixth, two in the bottom of the seventh. And then, uh, then came the fun part. Suzuki, Suzuki, Suzuki. Cubs fans, we'll get to one in a minute. Got to be in a little bit of a bind last night. On one hand, Suzuki's been a really, really big reason as to why this Cubs team's played, played, played good baseball this year. At least for the past two months. Suzuki's been a, uh, a reliable force for the, uh, the North Siders of Chicago. But he dropped a very routine fly ball to right. That would give the Braves a 7-6 lead. Former red leg, Ross Iglesias would come in and he would shut the Cubs down and they would win 7-6 as Dansby Swanson would fan in the game. Reds are one and a half back of a playoff spot. Season's alive. How alive is it? I don't know. Still seems to be on life support if we're being completely frank and honest with, this, with ourselves. But I must ask... The question that I was thinking to myself as I was driving into work. Reed, how are you doing? Uh, hi, I'm doing well. Good morning. Yesterday was, uh, as Elliot would say, last night was a tough one. I had about 30 texts the second that that happened. I see a lot of uh, people in the room saying that the, the Cubs suck and the, the drop fly ball. It is what it is. Yesterday wasn't all that bad, though, because I got to meet a Mr. Turbo Duran as I just flash him over the screen. He's the greatest person that I've ever met. <laughs> And he, I hope he's in the chat today. Mr. Turbo Duran, thank you for coming into my lives. He's about paper chasing. He's, he's about getting women. So, <laughs> I, I mean, baseball is what it is. I love the Cubs dearly, but it's not every day you, you get to meet a guy like Turbo Duran. So, shout out Turbo Duran. Hope you're paper chasing today. Hope you're not in the chat because I know you're getting women and I know you're getting money. Elliot? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, there was a point last night where I'm, I, I, I looked at myself and I'm like, I'm going to turn off the game. I'm not going to keep doing this to myself. I'm not going to let Hunter Green just end the season tonight. He, I mean, he did. He tried his best to end the season. But the good news is the offense woke up. Trace kind of mentioned it. It was a Luke Weaver-esque performance. When the offense knows they're dead and they're dead in the water, you need to, you need to put out a good performance. That's when, that's when they're the best. So, I, I, you know, they won the game 11-7. It was ugly. I mean, the whole game was pretty much disgusting. But a win is a win is a win is a win. Ellie De La Cruz has been one of the coldest players in baseball. Two home runs last night, his first multi-home run game of his career. Was awesome to see. Destroying baseballs. Both, both of the home runs were just, I mean, purely, purely stroked. So I, I, I'm all the way back. I was watching the – my dad and I were yeah. laying on the – dad and I were on the couch. We're watching the Cubs game afterwards. We're like, you know what? This is okay. You know, the Reds, the Reds at least are fighting. I can go to bed tonight knowing the Reds fought at, fought their hardest all the way to the end. It comes to the eighth inning. Mm. Sean Murphy comes up to the plate. Yep. And Casey's going to run it in a second. Sean Murphy <laughs> hits perhaps the most routine fly ball I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. My dad and I both get up. Time for bed. It's going to be it. Seiya Suzuki whiffed. He was there. He was in position. Whiffed on the baseball. My dad and I both yell at the top of our lungs, 
And it was, it was, I immediately texted Reed. Reed was, Reed was down. <laughs> this is. <laughs> the fucking, he can't believe it himself. I mean, I mean, have you ever seen a guy so down like that? That looks like a guy who needs, he needs one last quarter in the old, the old telephone booth and he needs to call somebody important and he just can't find the quarter that he thought he had. So I don't know how much you guys know about Cubs folklore. But <laughs> this isn't the first time the Cubs have dropped a fly ball either to, to, to get into the postseason this or at least something along those lines. I seen the clips last night. Yeah, 25 years ago, almost to the day, the Cubs were in a division race against the Houston Astros. Or my, my bad, uh, either the Houston Astros or the Milwaukee Brewers. They're playing the Milwaukee Brewers. And Brant Brown, you can go look this up on YouTube, Brant Brown drops a fly ball, three-run score. They were up two runs. It would have been the final out of the game. Brant Brown drops it, all three runs score, Cubs lose. They ended up making the postseason that year. But, yeah, yeah. It's a familiar territory. I'll, I'll say this. The 9 nothing blown lead is bad. But if we lost it because of that, I, mean, I wouldn't have been able to come back from it. I mean, I let's, just, let's I, let listen, 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 to a six-run blown lead to the best team in baseball. Yeah, the six-run the six run blown lead is whatever. I'm not even talking about that. Missing a routine fly ball to end the season would be tough. Because the and Reds the, and play the, great defense all the time. The Cubs. How'd they lose on Friday? The Cubs still How'd hold, the Reds lose on Friday? The Cubs still hold the spot, so this could be all for nothing. Reed can laugh all the way to the bank if they make the playoffs, which it looks like they will still. I think the Cubs are going to the playoffs easy. I'm going to bet on it. Uh, I, I think I think it's the most for sure thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Cubs are going to the playoffs. Congratulations, Reed. But I think I by think the grace of God, by the grace of God, if they were to miss it, and that's the reason why, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I hope that, you guys that play clip, the clip becomes again. that clip Keep becomes the, that clip. Casey, run it one more time. Keep running it. One more Keep time, Casey. It. This works it. out well for you guys. Keep running it. Run, run it, it one more time. More run it one more time. And you I, know what? I let's, wasn't going to go on my victory lap this. last night. I wasn't going to do it. I was going to save it for it. today. Let's do it. Come on. Center. Here we go. There it is. It there it the is. <laughs> oh, he almost had it. He dropped the ball. Pitch. Fly ball, game's over, season's dead. Oh, the Cubs fans can't get mad. They can't get mad because San Suzuki's got a 3 7 in the past two months. So, all well, in all seriousness, no. In all seriousness, the, the Cubs are going to the playoffs. Easy. Story's done. Story's been written. And here we are. Reds certainly still have to win out, in my opinion. Um, there's a team that I'm a little concerned about, and it's not the Cubs. It's the Marlins, if we're being completely honest, because that team, they hold the tiebreaker. And they're in a spot where if they just win against marginal opponents, which is the Mets and the Pirates, then they find themselves in the postseason. And, um, you know, hey, I think we're at a position now where the Red season feels as if you are playing with house money now is what it kind of feels like, when as before – you were on your last rent money at the blackjack table. A week, two weeks ago, the Reds, you felt like were right in position. And it was theirs to lose in a way 
to get into the postseason. And this team at times played like that. They appeared like they were playing as if they had a lot to lose. You've seen it. I've seen it. You've watched the NCAA tournament. I've watched the NCAA tournament. And there's times where you can tell that there are uh, emotions from a higher seed when they're playing an underdog and they're just not playing the way they've played all year long. Why? Because there's pressure involved. And when pressure exists and it mounts, it makes you play a different kind of style of ball. And it felt like for the past two, three weeks before Saturday's game against the Pirates, this team did not play their highest level of baseball for quite some time. We were begging for it, we were pleading for it, but it just didn't happen. Is it only two games since the Saturday fiascos happened, and could I be making more out of this than, uh, than needs to be? Sure. Perhaps you might say that's the case, and I wouldn't really argue that. But now the Cincinnati Reds should feel, and I do believe they do feel this way, that really you're playing with house money. You don't control your own destiny. You go out, you play. If you win, you see what happens. And if, if, if it doesn't go your way, then it's been a great season. It's kind of odd that when you get to that mentality, sometimes you play better. I'm hopeful that the Reds can find a way to just to, just to continue that for four more games. But if not, it's been an unbelievable season regardless. Yesterday, if you didn't get a chance to watch the front half of the game, there's a situation where Ellie De La Cruz comes to the plate. He gets a called strike on him that was too low, to be fair. It was a ball. But it was called a strike. And when you get a call to strike, then guess what? You're down 0-1 in the count. Giolito would then throw two 94-mile-an-hour fastballs that were not directly down the middle, but they were pretty close. Ellie would take strike two. Ellie would then take strike three. And at this point, I start to wonder, what happened to the old Ellie De La Cruz? Where did he go? And the only thing that I could come up with was that he's completely overthinking this and he's gotten what seems to be too much instruction. At least that's how it felt. We've all been in our lives at some point where we feel like we've overcomplicated things. We've made something more than it really truly is. We've tried to make something out of nothing. You've heard all the phrases. That's where Ellie De La Cruz has been. For a past month, or so it feels. So, sure enough, you, you tweet something out about that. And what does he do? He goes on to hit a base hit, home run, home run. And for all intents and purposes, I think Ellie De La Cruz can be a great player. The one thing that I always concern myself over, though, is do we ever get to a point where we start to, we start to idolize the statistics of the StatCast era more than we really should. Certainly, Ellie De La Cruz is going to be a stat cast god. He's got un, un, unbelievable talent. He's got God-given abilities that none of us have ever possessed. And by none of us, I mean literally none of us. I don't care who you are watching right now. You've never had the talent that Ellie De La Cruz possesses to be able to hit a ball that far. There's only so many people in the world that's ever been able to do that. But just because you can do that doesn't ultimately mean automatically that it's going to ultimately be or wind up making yourself a great player. 
Does Ellie have it in him to be an unbelievable player, a superstar, the best in the world? I do believe that. Yes. He's proven that, quite honestly. But sometimes I worry about the idea or the identity of some of these players getting wrapped up behind just sheer raw metrics. TJ Friedel's a guy that continues to go a little unheralded. Why? Because he's just not that type of stat cast god. You're never going to watch in a game and be like, oh my gosh, did you see how hard TJ Friedel hit that ball? 119 miles an hour, blah, blah, blah. No, but can TJ Friedel be a very, very good player that's very meaningful and important to this baseball team? He already is. It's wild how on one side of the aisle, you can try to be somewhat honest about what we've seen from Ellie and people will take it as a negative. I have done nothing but support Ellie De La Cruz since he came up here. I have sat here right here on this show and other shows and said that there's one person in the entire organization, there's only one that can make this team go from here to here overnight. And it is Ellie De La Cruz because he possesses that much talent. And oftentimes when you see a guy with that much talent, it can lend itself to some frustration more times than not. And it can be unfairly it can cause unfair criticism to a guy because you see how talented he is and you just eager and, you're, and you want that. You continue to want that. I hope more than anything else that Ellie De La Cruz can get to where he has a level of consistency. And I'm not naive and no one else should be naive to the fact that he is 21 years old. That is important to know. Yes. But the one thing that was concerning to me after the first at bat last night, and obviously after he had success, that did, uh, that did come back maybe to the median, is that the only real way for Ellie not to be super effective in the big leagues, in my opinion, is to overcomplicate this whole thing. I get it. People want to tell me that the league is adjusting to Ellie. The league's adjusting to Ellie. He's got to make an adjustment, this, that, and the other. In what world is adjusting to the league where a guy throws two 94-mile-an-hour fastballs, middle-middle, and we don't swing? That was the concern I had. The argument that people wanted to make when Ellie first came up as to why he wasn't going to have success is because he, he was a free-swinging spirit. He swung too much. And I don't know about you, but I would much prefer my star player to make mistakes on the aggressive side of the ball than to start to be passive and worry about making mistakes. Now, thankfully, he had a great game. But that was my concern after the first at bat. Was what... We didn't ruin him, but what have we done to the free-spirited, having fun aggressive nature of Ellie De La Cruz. Maybe the big leagues humbled him, to be fair. Maybe that's what it was. Nobody said a single word to Ellie about, about trying to be a little more selective. But sometimes the psychological nature of every human being can be different. Some guys you got to scream and yell out to get them going. Some guys you need to pump them up. Some you don't need to say anything at all to, and some you need to give a sermon to right before they do anything. It's hard to know what that is for every single person. Ellie is going to be the difference maker for this team moving forward. 
can this team survive and can they and, and can this franchise survive if Ellie De La Cruz doesn't end up being a perennial all-star? Yes, they can. Should we gloss over the fact that there aren't other great players on this team just because one guy has stat cast numbers that are just unbelievably elite and better than everyone else? No, we shouldn't. Do I love the fact that Ellie De La Cruz got put on a pedestal right when he came to this city and he's, he's already got a stake at Jeff Ruby's and all of these things and he's not even been in the big leagues for more than a month? I'll be honest, I don't think that's healthy for a young kid. Could he survive all that? Am I overthinking that a little bit? Maybe. But most mentally tough people and most really successful people go through struggle and they find themselves on the way out of it on the other side and they're better for it. And I'm hopeful that's what's going to happen with Ellie De La Cruz and what's happened this past month with him. We'll find out where it goes. We'll find out where it ultimately leads us to. Saying he's going to be the best player in the world on one hand, and on the other hand, saying he's going to be the next Aquino, we can, all, can we all just agree that it's probably going to see, be somewhere in the middle of that? Otherwise, the Reds did win. I just wanted to sit here and say, if Ellie continues to play the way he played last night, even in the slightest bit, this team will get hot, and this team will be dangerous. If that doesn't happen, this team is average at best, which speaks volumes to how good and how meaningful Ellie De La Cruz can be to this team. Uh, we have Kyle Kasky, uh, who does the Chatterbox Clicker. He's coming up right around 1030, <coughs> might be a little after 1030. Those that are asking the questions in the chat, where is Tracy Jones? He usually does, uh, he usually does his 30 minutes of best television um, on the 1130s on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Today would be Wednesday, but I do see people asking in the chat about him. He's in a position where uh, we're, there's nothing wrong per se, but work kind of got busy. He felt like it was really, really cutting into his time constraints. So until that changes, um, Tracy obviously will be focused on that. And we'll continue doing what we do every day, which is a show. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you how you guys feel about this but i just kind of get myself into a position where maybe i'm getting older and i'm turning into that old man yells at cloud scenario but i do kind of it kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes when when we always just idolize some of these stack cast numbers and it's just kind of like you know what i mean luke maley hit a big home run yesterday tj friedel hit a big home run yesterday and I'm not suggesting for a second you shouldn't have fun and talk about the StatCast stuff, but if you peel back the onion a little bit and you look at the player that Ellie's been the past month and a half, it is kind of wild how you can't just live in the middle here. You either, you either have to say Ellie's going to be a Kino or he's going to be unbelievable look at his StatCast numbers. You're kind of an outsider here. You're, you're, you know what you are? And I'm saying you're kind of like the guy – in a way, to be, I'm being honest here. This isn't a bit. I'm being, I'm being serious. I watch the Bengals differently than all of you guys watch the Bengals, right? There's, there's less yeah. emotion involved in it. You watch Ellie De La Cruz. You don't have as much emotion in it because, quite honestly, you're not invested as a fan like we would be for this team. But you know baseball. When you see Ellie play, what? And it, you could be honest. This isn't a troll thing. Like, what do you think when you see him play? 
Uh, I think that every everything that is said about Ellie De La Cruz is true. I think every single thing that people say about Ellie De La Cruz is true. He obviously has the ability to do the things that very few players in the world can do. You talk about the stat cast numbers. I mean, he's hitting the ball 470 feet. He's hitting it harder than anybody in the, in the stat cast era in Reds history. So these are things that no one else can do, and they mean something. I don't know how much they mean, but they mean something. But in the same breath, he frequently looks inept. He frequently is, you know, making errors in the field, making the routine, not making the routine play. He's striking out in big situations. He can't get on base. All these things that are competing with one another. Yeah, everything that people say about Ellie De La Cruz is true because it goes that far back and forth. He is amazing, best player on the field, and then he's an incredible liability at the same time. So if that, that's my honest opinion on Ellie De La Cruz. Literally, Ellie, Ellie De La Cruz's career could go in any direction, and I would believe it. Could go in any—I mean, he could be an MVP, perennial MVP, and you'd be like, yeah, sure, I saw that. Or he could be out of the league in five years, and you go, yeah, sure. It can go anywhere. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't do the stat cast numbers and stuff. I think that stuff's kind of too far for me. I'm a big OBP guy. I'm a big batting average guy. I do the simple stuff. So I, I don't worry about the stat cast numbers. If it were up to me, Ellie De La Cruz wouldn't be playing the final games. That I mean, that's just that's how that, that is. It's he it, it's a he's objectively we, we're going to throw the word objectively. All metrics, all numbers. Ellie De La Cruz hasn't been good, a good player over the past two months. Now, Ellie De La Cruz has the capabilities to go on the hottest stretch ever. He is the capability. Is his ceiling is unlimited. But there is a floor that he's on right now, and it is low. It is lower than everybody's there. It seems like the plate discipline's gone, uh, but we'll see. And again, this is this is a 21-year-old kid. So could I be proven wrong right now? Sure. And I don't think there's a better option off the bench due to injuries and all that stuff. So Ellie De La Cruz will be playing the final games, and, it, and it's it's whatever. But it, it just seems to me like you can have you can you can see it both ways here, where it's like Ellie De La Cruz has been bad. But he's also 21 years old, he's a kid, and he has the capabilities to be one of the best players in, in Major League Baseball, like Reed just said. Yeah, I think that uh, there's a lot of different ways in which you can look at this. Um, you can obviously be overly optimistic all the time and try to convince yourself that everything will be fine no matter what. And, you, and usually you will use the excuse, and excuse is a strong word, but I think that's ultimately what it is. It, it's an excuse as to why you're trying to explain you're seeing the things that you're seeing. When he starts to struggle, everybody says he's 21 if you're an optimistic fan, right? He's 21. He's young. He's young. He's young. You know, Carlos Correa entered this league, Reed. You, you'll know better than I. Yeah. Carlos Correa was how old when he entered this league? 19. He was 19 years old. He was 19 years old when he entered this league. When Carlos Correa was 21 years old, Reed, can you pull up what he was doing? Uh... And that's just one side of it. So I lied. He he was uh, he was the rookie of the year as a twenty year old. Um, he had an OPS plus of one thirty five, and then as a twenty one year old, he pretty much matched his his rookie year numbers. He had a slight downfall, but still was an incredible player in terms of WAR. He actually had a seven WAR, so that's elite of elite. Right. So my main point to this is is that. You can try to create a narrative however which way you want with Ellie De La Cruz, and you could convince yourself or convince others that you're right. That's not really the point of what I'm trying to say as much as it is that I think Reed is right in the standpoint that this kid's career can go a number of different directions. 
It could go a number of different directions. And you have to ask yourself now, where are we on this scale of the Reds are in a position where, yes, we didn't expect them to be and we want them to make the postseason, but the other side of it is, is we need to figure out what we have and continue to give guys opportunities that we expect to give us a chance to get to the ultimate mountaintop, which is the only thing that everyone ends up wanting to do in sports in the, in the first place. If you don't win a championship, if you don't win the Super Bowl, you don't win the World Series, you don't win the National Championship, yes, you could say you had a good year. You can say all those things. But if you play for a professional franchise and or an elite co collegiate program, you're always going to have a sour taste in your mouth. Always. This Reds team's not in a position to win a World Series this year. So when Elliot when, when Elliot would say that Ellie shouldn't play these last few games, well, that would be if you had a team that was like the Braves, or you had a team that was like the Orioles, or you had a team that was like the Dodgers, who you think could, could genuinely win the World Series. If we're being honest with ourselves, that's not where the Reds are at. All right, switching gears a little bit. Uh, Obviously, I have said out loud on this microphone many a times that I don't know a lot about football. I've watched it on TV a bunch. And when I watch the Cincinnati Bengals play right now, the offense looks somewhat inept. The reason for that, we can all guess and yell and scream at the TV as to why we think that. But there's a guy named Kyle Kasky who does Chatterbox Clicker, and he does it every single Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. Kyle! You, uh, you obviously did your show last night, and I'm sure you explained some of this, but I will guess I'll ask you the tough question right from the get-go. When, when you watch this game as a, as, a, as a fan that maybe, again, doesn't know the X's and O's, and you're just like, this offense just does not look the same. There's something not clicking there. How far off do you think that this offense is to what we expect it to be and see versus what it is right now? Uh, I don't think they're far off, but I think it goes back to Burrow's health and Burrow's uh, calf and being able to move the way he moved in the past. Uh, when a quarterback's not able to scramble around or, or break the pocket and, and be comfortable doing it and then also be able to push off of that leg while he's on the move, th those are some things that if you go back and watch the last few years, that's, he's been really good at uh, being on the move, breaking the pocket, even running when he needs to, and you haven't seen that side of it. So people can kind of not necessarily have to worry about the running aspect of him or the breaking the pocket part. And uh, they're able to just drop back in their coverages. And I believe they, they've had enough film, too, on Chase and Higgins and Boyd and those guys that, uh, you, you know, they, they do start to get a, a, some tendencies when it comes to what they're doing because, you know, they're an 11 personnel. They have three wide out there and a tight end for the most part. So, you know, it's not like they're mixing in the personnel groupings all that much. Um, they did have 12 personnel when they scored a touchdown, when Mixon scored a touchdown. So they had two tight ends on the field. Maybe that's something they could, you know, move into. But uh, again, I think it's just the fact that there was a couple of able to push off on his on his leg, and the ball kind of floated. Uh, it just that's where they're missing it right now. They're missing the deep the deep shots that are accurate, the movement in the pocket. So you, you bring up a good point, or, or one thing. Something that we've thought about time and time again on this show, or at least I've brought up in regards to what it is of Joe Burrow's health that is going to ultimately lead to help, allow him to do those things. Do you think that this Bengals team, I guess, if again, to, to harken back to something we've discussed before, do you think this Bengals team can survive the way that they've played recently, the, the stylistic way that they decided to go about it offensively against the Rams? The next four opponents they play, or the next three opponents now that they play, um, do you think that they could kind of get by playing that same style of offense as, as you look forward throughout the season? 
I think the defense is going to have to step up like they did this past week. They they can't they can't say that they're going to go, uh, you know, in a shootout right now. And I think last year and the year before, you could have said, man, they're they're going to win a shootout. You 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 can give me the defense can give up thirty points and they'll probably win the game. This year it's going to be more of what you saw the other day. Now, if they convert on a few of these third downs that they they didn't convert on, that I think that they were close. Like there was there was one pass. It was third and eighteen, and I would say normally Burrow completes that pass. Uh, there's a couple couple other passes that uh, if, if they complete a couple of those, it might be a different game. But the defense has to step up and they got to they got to keep the score down and allow them to possibly just let McPherson win the game with with his with his leg every once in a while, like he did the other night. Uh, but they also have to again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. They got to they got to lean on Joe Mixon a little bit. I mean, the, the guy is playing at a high level. The line when they're blocking is playing at a high level for, the, for in the run game. Uh, if you go watch those guys, Orlando Brown's doing a great job in the run game. Volson is good in the run game. Volson got stuck on Aaron Donald the other day. I mean, it, that's I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an all-pro Hall of Famer. Um, Aaron Donald's going to beat you and probably beat you more than you win. So uh, the fact that, you know, he, he got beaten a few times by Aaron Donald, yeah, you don't want that. But I think they got to lean on the run game. If they don't lean on the run game, uh, then it's going to be a lot what you saw the other night, which again, they, they, they won. And uh, some of these other teams like Tennessee's down right now. So Tennessee's only scoring like 15 points a game right now too. So they, this could be one of those games down in Nashville, uh, depending on the weather, obviously, because sometimes Nashville gets some nasty weather. And uh, this could be one of those things where they might need to run the ball and just, uh, you know, run the clock off because uh, Derrick Henry hadn't really been going either. Coach, I don't know how much you get a chance to watch the rest of the league or how often you, you kind of, you know, pull the do you pull the, the red zone out or the Sunday ticket perhaps and you get a chance to kind of bounce around the league and look at different teams. But if you do, is there anyone that stands out to you that you think, hey, uh, we do a we do a power rankings every single week here, our top five. Not that you need to give us maybe all five, but are there a couple teams that stick out to you that says, you know what, moving forward, this team's probably going to be a team that I have a hard time believing they're not going to be uh, right there vying for a spot in the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll give you one from each league right now. Miami Dolphins and San Francisco 49ers. And uh, the Dolphins are obviously, for obvious reasons, but they, they have a ton of speed. I actually went and spent a couple of days with them this uh, during OTAs, and it's amazing. Uh, Tyreek Hill wasn't even there during those, and the, the speed on the field that they had was, was something I hadn't seen before. And the way that they're using – the speed, and you'll see like Tyreek Hill doing sideways motions going out. I think the Bengals did some of that the other night. And they're, all they're doing is getting, he's getting a full speed head start just running sideways in a legal motion and then running go routes or running slants out of that. And it's um, what they're doing with that speed and the things that they're doing. And it's kind of ironic that I said San Francisco because that's where McDaniel came from, but they do a lot of the same stuff. And their run game is, is pretty unbelievable. If you just go watch what they're doing, that's why a guy like Brock Purdy can come in there and be successful. You know that, you know, and comes in and, and looks good because they they cater it to him, and and the run game really gets it going for them. So I think those two teams, and obviously Philadelphia, I think is going to be in the mix. Um, Kansas City, uh, Kansas City looks up and down to me a little bit, but I, you know they looked pretty good the other day. I don't know if that was a Taylor Swift thing or not, but you know I might have I might have played a little harder too if that was the case. Uh, but you know it's one of those things where the, you're going to have your normals, but I think Miami and San Francisco are going to be the ones that are really going to show up in the end. You bring up a, a little bit of a funny point there. I guess we're still all humans at the end of the day. Do you do you think that uh, 
I mean, they were playing the Bears, and I I, I know you can't say this because you're a guy that obviously probably has friends throughout the league, but the Bears are just a poverty franchise. They're disgusting to watch, and they're not any good at football right now, and they might be the worst team in the league. So that's probably what more or less it probably is, Kyle. But let's just, let's just use what you just said for a half a second for some little ammunition or some fun fuel here. Uh, do you really think that grown adults look up into the press box and they see Taylor Swift and they actually, in their mind, think that, you know what, I'm going to play a little bit harder? I mean, I, I know that sounds funny, but the, I, the more I think about it, I guess what's the difference between being 19 years old and 25 years old? It, they for sure look up there and see Taylor Swift. Sometimes I think they look up there and see their girlfriend that they've got that they put up in the in the suite, too. So it doesn't really matter. It to be Taylor Swift, but I can guarantee you this. Uh, Kelsey wasn't the only one looking up there and seeing that Taylor, you know, and I'm sure it got put on the jumbotron or something. So it, again, it, it is kind of, it, it does consume you a little bit. And it's not just that. I mean, you, you but pregame, like most guys have their family on the, on the sideline or, you know, if they have, uh, you know, a, a girlfriend or they're dating somebody, they'll bring them down on the sideline. And, and again, it does take your attention away. I know when my family comes down on the sideline, uh, yeah, I'd go over and say hi to them, especially after we had kids. I mean, I'd go over there and, and yeah, it preoccupies you a little bit, but you also know you got a job to do. And I, I don't think it's going to affect it in a negative way by any means. It might actually get you a little bit more motivation if you know somebody that you want to kind of impress is right there watching you, especially if they're sitting with your mom. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, is there any anything that you obviously kind of see what, what happens on the Internet and things of that nature when it comes to the games and things of that? Is there anything that is uh, that is more fan-driven or Internet-driven that has a little bit of truth to it that many people would probably make fun of? Uh, you know, stereotypes or things that you think fans say or do or see, and you're like, you know what, there's actually a little bit of truth to that on the inside. Tough question, maybe. Well, I think it's, I think it's more like that, those tablets that we, that we look at um, when they're watching the games and things like that, they think that we're watching film on those tablets. It's not film. It's just pictures. And I, I get people asking me all the time, like, well, why don't they show video? And that's a question one time. Why don't we get video? And they said, well, it takes the coaching out of football. Uh, no, it doesn't. I mean, you, you get to watch, you get to watch things like that too. So um, anyway, we, uh, we, we have, uh, I'd say kind of going back to what you said just a minute ago about um, the, uh, the people in the stands and, and different things like that. Uh, they always talk about, you know, what goes on after the game and, and you see people leaving with people and things like that. Well, yeah, because they get ushered down there to go, you know, go out, walk out with them. So you saw Taylor Swift walking out with with Kelsey. Well, she that's how I mean, that was her kind of way into the game. And and even though she's Taylor Swift, I'm sure she had her own people. But, uh, you know, when, when you get you get ushered down, it's kind of like at Cincinnati, they put them in this like corral. And and uh, down there in the loading dock, and you actually got to kind of kind of come down and get them out. It's not as glamorous as people make it out to be when you're leaving the stadium with people. So uh, that might be another thing too. Are you suggesting for a half a second that Taylor Swift could have possibly been in that popcorn cart? Did you see that? I, you know what? I, maybe. I mean, I don't. I, the thing. Did, did anybody actually see her leave except for that little bitty two-second clip that showed her walking with Travis Kelsey? Anybody actually see her leave? She could have actually been in that popcorn. I'm not saying she was, but I know people. There have been people that will go through the tunnels and different things where they'll kind of be, in, you know, they'll have the hood over their head or, you know, have the hat down low, sunglasses on, on trying to hide. And some of the players even do that sometimes when they when they're just trying to get out because you got to walk past everybody's family, everybody's kids, and then there's a bunch of fans outside the. Uh, you know, outside the parking lot and stuff like that. And sometimes you just want to, you know, get out and go. So 
if she wanted to get in the popcorn bin, then good for her. I mean, if, if she's willing to do that. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's enough Taylor Swift talk on the show so far. <laughs> is there, uh, is there, before you go here, I know you got, you got a place to be, but is there any, um, anything that unique or, or fun about any of the stops that you had within, uh, within the league that, uh, you got to, I don't know, whether it be a funny story, whether it be a cool memory, whether it be like, a. Uh, a certain part of a stadium that has uh, some uniqueness to it that if you travel, you need to do this in this type of uh, city or stadium. Um, I guess two questions. One, if you have a story, and then two, your favorite stadium that you ever coached in or had to go up against somebody in. Uh, I don't know if this is a favorite story, but it's kind of interesting. Now, they've, they've since done, gotten a brand new facility, but when I was in Jacksonville, we had our, our offices were in the bowels of the stadium. So they were actually you know, Cincinnati, you know, it's in the stadium, but it's in that end zone facility. Like these were actually in the tunnel. And I would go outside of the office sometimes into the hallway to like FaceTime my kids or something. And they had these pipes and the pipes would every once in a while leak. And I don't think it was leaking just water. I, this could have been, I don't know what it was leaking, but it was leaking some bad stuff. And then every once in a while a bat would go flying through there. Uh, I don't know if that's a, you know, that's just as bad was down there facility wise. So they got that fixed now, but uh, best stadium, I'd say, I mean, it's hard to beat Dallas, um, but I would say SoFi Stadium in L.A. Um, is, is pretty impressive the way it's built. And it's just it's an outdoor stadium, but it's got a roof over it. And it's just kind of uh, it's kind of cool the way it's built. And then uh, really the, the other one that kind of comes to mind is Minnesota. It's a really cool looking place. It's a half glass and the sunlight comes through. And then underneath, like, you know how they have those those uh, the club seats on the field level now at a lot of these new places? Well, un Behind the, the benches, though, is there's not really a whole lot of club seats. It's just a big club under there, and it looks like a mall. So you, if you go under the uh, the home side and uh, walk behind the team, it just opens up into this big area down there. You just see escalators and everything, and it's uh, it's crazy how these, these new stadiums are being built. And then, you know, obviously up there, we, we walked out of the bus, and it was like minus 5 degrees, and then you walk inside, and it feels great. So, um, you know, domes are always a good thing up north. Yeah, well – well, speaking of a point, you know that the Bengals obviously have now – they now have a practice, uh, indoor practice yeah. facility. So kudos to them. Do you ever think that uh, – do you ever think that that will uh, change? Does that, does that get made fun of around the league a little bit, that the Bengals for the longest time didn't have an indoor practice facility? Uh, yes, but you'd be surprised at how many people didn't know that. Like if you don't, if you don't come around it, you don't really think about it because uh, the, the teams that come and play – they really only, you know, you, you drive past it, obviously, but you don't think think about it. And then, then they drive into the other side of the stadium, the north end of the stadium, so they don't really see anything over there. And, uh, you, you know, uh, but people that did, like when it was bad weather and the and the Bearcats were still playing, we didn't go up to the Bearcats facility yet to that to that rugby field that they put the, the bubble over. Right. So we would practice in the stadium on, on the turf. And all that did was just keep us off the slippery grass or whatever, but it was still pretty cold out there. And I, I remember I wore like eight layers one time to practice just because it was just unbearably cold. And that stadium, as you all know, can be a little bit of a wind tunnel at times. And it, it was just brutal. But then once the season kind of got, you know, the the since UC season kind of ended, we would go up there to that bubble and use that. But that was still kind of a, you know, a pain to have to bus up there and everything. But it was a lot better than uh, being out in the cold and the, the snow and everything. Oh, fair, fairly understandable. It's just a wild, wild concept that I guess uh, many of these college or many of these players probably had without question better facilities while they were in college. And then all of a sudden you get to be a professional where you're making a significant amount of money. And then all of a sudden I would assume 
many of these yeah. players, the, the facilities have just taken a huge step back for most of them. Yeah, but that, that's, that's kind of across the board, except for maybe the Cowboys or somebody like that. Most of these NFL stadiums aren't, aren't, or NFL facilities are not built to recruit. You know, all these facilities that they're building on these colleges, they're building them to recruit, so they got to make it look a certain way. And, and the pros, it's just got to be functional. And that's, I think most pro guys kind of understand that after, after a little while because some of the guys did were, would come. We draft these guys from, you know, Georgia and Alabama and these places, and they come in and be like, well, what is this? You know, why, this is all we got. This is the facility. And like, is there anything you need? You know, and, and they'd be like, no. And it's, it's functional. And that's how most of them are. I've been to, uh, I'd say I've probably been to maybe 10 of the facilities across the, you know, across the league. And like the Cowboys facility is a Taj Mahal. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy looking in there. And, um, and it's, you know, it's nowhere near the, the stadium, but I mean, they, they've, yeah, if you could recruit whatever you wanted there, I'm, I'm shocked that they don't get more uh, free agents to, to want to go there, but you know, that they, they also got a lot more money than a lot, a lot of teams too. Fair enough. All right. I'll put you on the spot for one last final question here before you take off and you, and you get back to uh, your, your day job, yep. as they say. The Bengals obviously play three more games and they have a bye. They play against the Niners right after the bye. But heading into that bye week, you think the Cincinnati Bengals record will be what? All right. They've, that'll be six games. I'm going to say they are three and three. I'm going to say they go two and one in the next two. Uh, Seattle looks like a, a, a little bit of a, a roadblock right now. Just that's, this is one of those games that's just, it's going to be tough if, if Burrow's not 100%. But, they should beat the Titans and they should beat the Cardinals. So I'm going to say three and three. Um, and if they come into the bye at three and three after everything that's happened at this point, I mean, they, they should, they'll be just fine. All right. Three and three. I, I, I'm going to ask the question around the room. As soon as you get off, whether they're happy with that, I think they'll be ecstatic. We'll find out. But I appreciate you jump, uh, jumping on here, uh, taking the time out of your day to make this possible. And secondly, obviously, for those that uh, that don't know, I know we, we do promote it a lot, but uh, you do the show at 9 o'clock on Tuesdays. You do a great job, and we appreciate you jumping on here, as always. And we'll have you back, I'm sure, next week. All right, guys. Y'all have a good one. All right. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Three and three, fellas. Three and three. Are you happy about that? I mean, you'd be thrilled to death. You'd be thrilled to death, I assume. Yeah, is that a trick question? I mean, we've got we've got our quarterback at 70% at best, and we start 0-2, and we play three borderline playoff teams in that stretch, and we win three of four? Yeah, yeah. Take three and three in a heartbeat. Take it in a heartbeat. I would love to be 500. I would love it. I would love it with all my heart. And if the Bengals can get to 500, they can get to over 500. Right now, one and two, not great. Three and three is great. So that's where I am. It's, it's incredible, incredible how many similarities there are between last year and this year already. Um, I'm, I'm looking at last year's record. They were two and three going into um, – they just lost to Baltimore on Sunday night football to go two and three. After starting 0-2, won two in a row, lost to Baltimore. Then they go beat the Saints on a miracle play from Jamar Chase. To get back to 3-3, three and, three and the season kind of ran from there. On top of that, last year they didn't score any touchdowns in the first two games in the first half. This year we didn't score any touchdowns in the first half of the first three games. There's just so many similarities. But, yeah, I'll take 3-3. Three and three. Casey? Yeah, I would totally take 3-3. Three and three. Um, Just like you said, that would be the exact same start that we had pretty much last year. Um, I mean – 
That that's like best case scenario in my mind. I mean, I'm already right. expecting to be like, not to to put panic in anyone, but in the next four games, I expect us to maybe go 500 in those games, just by based off of how poorly Burrow played. I mean, I, it just depends on his health, right? I mean, he could miraculously be healed next week. We don't know, but from yeah. what I saw, that just it's going to be a, a tall task. For our defense all season long, and it's going to take a lot of a lot of everyone stepping up for them to get to 500 in the next four weeks. Last year we were four and four going into the bye week. So, yeah, yeah. The only difference this year that feels different, at least, is just that is Joe Burrow, right? Um, and that's the question that none of us are going to be able to answer, and that ultimately is going to be the thing that decides the Bengals' fate. Is he going to be able to find a way to be able to manage the pain of the calf and make the throws he needs to make? Because I've said on this show how many times about scrambling and extending plays. Maybe more importantly, his ability to throw the ball down the field accurately is just as important. And I kind of have taken that for granted. I kind of assumed yeah, even if you have a even if you have a bad calf, I know the mobility would 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 suffer. But I didn't really consider and or think about at great length his ability to make accurate throws down the field. And if that's not, if that's not going to rear its head at some point, then it becomes really difficult to see how this all plays out in a, in a favorable way for the Cincinnati Bengals. The good news is, is that he didn't re-aggravate his injury. And I think if you're the Bengals, I can get on board with the idea of of trying to get the ball out quick like they did this past game. There was there was clearly an emphasis from Joe and also the game plan in the calling of, of said game of trying to find a way to where you limit the opportunities of Joe getting hit and or having to extend a play. Now, you could say they always try to do that, but that's just not the case when you're calling routes or you're calling a play that requires a route that takes a little bit of time to develop where you got to hold on to the ball. It's a little bit of a farther uh, a drop back, and you know there's a chance or there's at least a higher risk of Joe getting hit. That just wasn't the case against the Rams, and they found a way to survive in advance. The million-dollar question that we just don't know is that can you survive in advance against teams that have a little bit better defenses than the Rams? Um, and, the, and I'm not saying the Rams aren't a good team by any stretch of the yeah. imagination. They've played some tough teams tough. And um, for all intents and purposes, Matt, Matt Stafford's a great quarterback, and that defense stepped up when they needed him the most. But again, it just comes back to when you play the Titans this coming Sunday, I, I, I don't mean to keep beating a dead horse here, fellas, but we, 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 when I say we, and I get it, people are going to make fun, but like collectively, as you're watching the Bengals, you got to find a way to come up with a game plan that gets us to 24 points. What that is, I don't know, but it feels like this team has struggled to find that as of late. And uh, they did make an emphasis, if anything, guys. They did make an emphasis to get Jamar Chase the ball, which I think is a good sign. Yeah, you look at the the Bengals' game plan, and, and, and you guys are right. Everyone, I've been the one defending the offense, and I can't defend it any longer. You guys are right that they need to figure out a new game plan to score more points because the game plan that they have chosen everyone wants to bash on not running the ball everybody wants to bash on not being able to or not trying downfield well the reason that that is is because they have to 
right? Their team is built around passing the ball. Whether you guys recognize that or not, that is how this team is built. We don't have multiple tight ends, although we used a bunch of tight ends on, mon on, on Monday night. This team isn't built to, to ground and pound like the Browns do, like the Titans do. We are going to go three wide, and in lieu of running the ball, we're saying, all right, let's do short passes. Let's get these guys on slant routes. Let's get these guys on comebackers. Let's get these guys three or four yards down the field and then just quickly pass it with Joe because Joe can make those passes. He can't throw the ball downfield. We don't want him to sit in the pocket for a long time and then maybe have to escape because he can't do that. And on top of that, even if they have a clean pocket, they can't go downfield. So the game plan has been short passes to get the ball downfield. And it's had some success moving the ball downfield. But as we saw on Monday, the offense stalled out after we got across midfield. Stalled out. They only got in the red zone one time. And they scored five times. So they were in striking distance multiple, multiple times. But they just couldn't keep the ball moving because as the field gets shorter, you can defend those short passes. So what can the Bengals do to score more points on Sunday against a team that's teetering? And the Titans, they don't look like a competitive team that they looked like that was the number one seed two years ago. Doesn't look like the team that almost won the, the AFC South last year. What can they do to score more points? I don't know that answer. I'm not a football coach. I can just tell you what they have been doing hasn't been as successful as I think that they would have liked, and it's not as successful as I think everyone would have per, um, predicted. So what are they going to do? Is it going to be more run ball? Are they going to do different things to, to get Jamar chase the ball as they showed on Monday night? I have no idea, but something needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that running the ball is a good start, and that, you know, could have been their game plan Monday if they hadn't gotten behind the sticks too many times. I mean, there was three to four drives, if I can remember correctly, that too many penalties backed them up. They were in third and long sacks, things of that nature that put them behind the, the sticks, caused Joe Burrow to have to throw the ball a lot more. And, you know, I think another thing that they can do is just continue to feature Jamar Chase, get him out in open space, the motions, the uh, deep crossing routes, all that stuff. You got to continue to do that. And like I said, they were – and I know you guys are going to beat me down for it, but a field goal missed. That's 22 points. Those couple drives that stalled out due to penalties, mental mistakes, I don't think that's going to continue. That's just not who the Bengals are. They don't make a lot of mental mistakes like that, especially back-to-back -back penalties. Like right. That one drive was unacceptable. They were third and one. They probably won the ball there, get the first down, whatever. But, yeah, they got to figure out a way to get to the red zone. That's the, the biggest part. And I think that starts with having a good run game. You got to be balanced. Well, so here's the thing. You talk about balance. I looked this up yesterday. And once again, I, I, I don't know what this stat says, but everyone talks about how the Bengals aren't running the ball enough. They've had 70, 72 snaps on first down this year. They have ran the same amount of pass plays as run plays. And you can look at the other best teams in the AFC. You know, the Chiefs, they pass the ball more on first down than they run the ball. The Bills, they pass the ball more on first down than they run the ball. The Bengals are doing it 50-50. People are right. The run game needs to be better. I don't think it's just as simple as we hand the ball off to Joe Mixon more times. It needs yeah. to be better. The, the, the Bengals have the worst run success rate this season. It's like 25% where they're actually succeeding on a run play. What can they do 
to progress. And, and I don't know. I don't know. Like I've said multiple power. times, this team isn't built to be a ground and pound team. This team isn't pulling guards. This team it doesn't have fullbacks. This team doesn't have two tight end sets all the time. We're not going under center because Joe Burrow literally can't go under center at this moment. So how can this team get a more effective run game? It's not as simple as let's hand the ball off to Joe more times. It's what can this team do better at running the ball? That's the better question. Yeah, the, the scheme that they run – duo and inside zone that requires a lot of the inside zone is more athletic you got to have athletic linemen to get out in open space duo you're just doubling the guys up front hoping that one of them can get off their block and get to the linebacker in time that's just has it just not worked the things that have worked that got a lot of plays and obviously we can talk about the touchdown that was a power play where the guard was pulling right allowed for Orlando Brown to get out in the open space and get to the second level, they got to do more stuff like that. I know they might not be built for it, but defenses aren't defending them right now like they can. And that's that's an important part of the game is, you know, if you've got light boxes, you got to take your opportunities to to get those advantages. you got to run some, some pulling guards, some gaps, some power, something to get right. Joe Mixon more space. That's That's the whole point of the Bengals' run game, right? is that's why it has been successful over the past few years is because they've had downfield threats, which then, once again, spreads out the defense. When you're doing short, intermediate passes, the defense can pack it in. Right. And it's just it, it, these two things can conflict against one, one another. So we've got to do different things running the ball. Yeah, and if I'm going to sit here and try to play devil's advocate to my own points more times than not, I, I obviously think that the Bengals' offense is in a severe lack uh, of – they're in, a, they're in a severe predicament because if you're not able to throw the ball accurately down the field and you also then don't want Joe Burrow to get a hit and also Joe Burrow can't extend plays with his legs, then you're really, really, really making things difficult to try to stretch the field. But to Casey's point, if I'm going to try to help him out here with this, is that if T. Higgins – and listen, we can argue whether or not it was yeah, offensive pass interference or whether it was pass interference or, or whether it was a clean catch or not a clean catch. But that was one – judgment off of one individual in the entire world that made that call if he doesn't throw that flag there then I think we're talking a little bit differently about the offense to be fair I also think we could clearly say that you would like to think that Tyler Boyd's not going to false start Joe Mixon's not going to false start those are guys that should not be false starting yeah the T Higgins, uh, drops T. Higgins obviously dropped a couple passes uh, but to be fair, on the other side, if you were to try to make the argument, I mean, Jamar Chase made some catches that most right. human no beings don't make. I, no so, but, but Jamar Chase has continued to make plays that most human beings don't make. So maybe that's just par for the course, right? That's, that's one of those things where if you don't see a team play a lot and you, and you watch a team play, sometimes you'll, you'll think to yourself, oh, they're, they're playing over their head or they're, they're, they're not this good. Well, if you don't watch them every day, sometimes that's just how good they really are, right? And I think Jamar Chase... As, as much as he is widely regarded as one of the best uh, receivers in the NFL, his good, his good is just as good as everyone else. Now, I do think Justin Jefferson is unbelievable as well. I'm not trying to compete. You know, we, when you start getting into a uh, pissing match of who the best is in certain positions, it turns into this ridiculous conversation. And then it ultimately ends up people start degrading unbelievable players, right? Who's the best of all time? Is it Tom Brady? 
Is it is it you know Joe Montana? Is it Aaron Rodgers? Is it in, is it you know Drew Brees? The next thing you know, you turn around and people are telling you why Drew Brees wasn't very good, or why Aaron Rodgers wasn't good, or why Tom Brady was carried by somebody. It always ends up degrading someone that's great. So I don't want to turn it into that. But Jamar Chase is just a he's such a valuable weapon that you know sometimes as much as it's crazy to think that the people sitting at home on their couch or people in the stands that are yelling stuff sometimes it's laughable because you know clearly there's just idiotic statements that are made from fans that's why they're fans but some of it's the truth some of it's like if you have Jamar Chase find a way to get that kid the ball 10 to 15 times a game i don't care how you do it just do it if it, if it means that you got to throw a screen pass six times a game just to get him the ball, then get him the ball. You know? The idea of, of, of uh, Joe Burrow saying, screw it, Jamar's down there somewhere, and I think that everyone laughs and thought that was a funny joke. I mean, yeah, it's a funny joke, but it's kind of true. It's kind of true. So we'll see how they ultimately end up going about this offensive schematic system that they're going to try to run out there. And I know we don't want to, and trust me, I see people in the chat saying this, and, and we, we don't want this either. I, I, I prefer not to talk about Joe Burrow's calf every single day on the show because ultimately it just becomes a mute point. And until it gets healthy, then there's nothing to talk about. And until they do something different that they don't do, then there's nothing to talk about, right? But that is the main factor in this, in this Bengals offense. We'll find out if they are able to, to figure it out. The good news is they played the Tennessee Titans. Clearly no 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 world beating team. They just got demolished by the Browns. However, that's a little bit concerning. I don't know if that should matter to you, but it, it's I never if if in the NFL at least, in the NFL to be clear, it never is fun to have to play a team that just got their brains beat in. No doubt. Uh they are professional athletes at the end of it all. And uh the last thing that I think that the uh, the Bengals would like to do is have to go play on the road against the Titan teams that just got waxed twenty eight to three. The good news is the defense has proven that they look as if they're ready for the challenge. Now, one would argue that maybe that running game is one that we probably need to figure out whether or not they're going to be able to stop Derrick Henry. It didn't really get tested against the Rams. It's going to get tested this Sunday. We'll find out if they're able to hang on. Uh, it is 11 o'clock, which means we have the uh, the locals at 11. Uh, we got to pay bills around here, but more importantly, the weather seems to be changing. So, I think it's time to send it, Elliot. We'll send it over to you in the, in, the, in the weather room. How's it going, boss? You know what? For the first time in two weeks, we have a change in the weather. How about that? So, for the past two weeks, I've been getting paid for nothing. I mean, for absolutely nothing, but Trace noticed it himself. He didn't have to wait for any weather report, right? He noticed outside that, look, what's hitting me on my face? It's rain. It's water. All right? If you look up, you'll find that the clouds are dropping a liquid on you. That liquid is rain. Now, when it rains, you'll need a few things. First, you'll need a jacket, a sweater, or a hoodie, like myself. If you have a hoodie, you can stay dry. This is, this is important when you're battling the rain. These are things that you need to know, okay? If you're asking when the rain will stop, treat it like it's never going to. I'm, I am planning on torrential downpours throughout the entire day. Is it true? I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing right now that it's in my, in my radar that I'm being handed right now on my phone because everybody can do it. 
If you look right now, I'm seeing chances of rain throughout the entire day. But later tonight, there is a bigger chance of rain. At 10 p.m., when you're asleep and it doesn't matter, that's when it's going to rain the hardest. When, when you just don't even need to check the weather. Here's your phone. Everybody can do that right now. You go to your weather app, you see what it's like. Go outside today. Take a, take, take, take a, take a stroll outside in your hoodie with an umbrella. Do you have an umbrella? You're going to need one. This is important stuff, guys. You have to have an umbrella. You have to battle the elements. The elements are going to try to beat you. You can't let it happen. Today it's raining. Tomorrow it's going to rain. And then after that, it's not going to rain. Precipitation chances, if you're wondering what those are, 72%. That's on my precipitation calculator. Okay? Everybody right now, stay dry. Protect yourselves. This will be the worst weather you will experience in your entire life today. Chance of rain, maybe sunshine. There might be sunshine later. So it might not even rain. I, I predicted, actually, Chip, it was going to rain, or it wasn't going to rain yesterday. It downpoured yesterday. I think it was Ricky. He sent me a picture of, of, his, of his house. I at first thought it was the water towers because he lived by a, a, a plethora of water towers. I've never seen that before. He lived by two water towers. So I thought maybe the water towers were sprouting water all upon his, upon his neighborhood. But it wasn't. It was rain. It was rain from the sky. So that's your weather, high of whatever, low, who cares, and, th and then it's going to rain at some point, various times. It might not rain. I don't know. Chip, back to you. Well, thanks, Elliot. Uh, some are saying that it's sunny outside right now where they live. Oh, all right, let's take it back to Elliot. Let's take it back to Elliot. <laughs> so if you, if you have sun outside, if you're looking outside and you're saying, oh, well, Elliot's lying to me. He's saying it's raining, but it's not going to rain and it's sunny outside. Well, then you need to just check a different meteorologist, right? You live in different places. This weather is only for Hamilton. This weather is only for Hamilton. If you don't live in Hamilton, this weather is not going to be relevant to you. I don't have some big news weather center out in the middle of Cincinnati. I don't have, I don't have drones striking the area. I don't have that. What I have is Cincinnati Hamilton weather. I looked outside. I walked in. Rain. I look outside this window. Rain. Could it be sun? Maybe. But that's what we're dealing with. Everybody stay dry. Stay safe. There might be a tornado. He just pointed at a wall, by the way. What's that? Nothing. What'd you say? I didn't say anything. What'd you say? All right, All right Chip, Chip, back to you. All right. Well, you know what's next. It's uh, Trace buys, uh, you know, every bit of, what, 10 to 15 seconds. So uh, Casey McAllister can figure out a way to get himself situated for his, uh, his time to give you the lovely ad reads. Why are these important? Because they help keep the lights on. They allow us to do this show each and every day. A special shout out, as always, to United Dairy Farmers for being the title sponsor of this show. And it's also nice and lovely to listen to uh, where you can get your technology solutions along with probably more than likely, my guess is, somebody telling us about the best tasting water in the world. So without further ado, I'll send it over to Casey McAllister. Thanks, Chip. The Bengals Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and... Productivity. Productivity! Yeah! You can visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. And let me tell you about this lovely water called Pawnee water. It's a new alkaline water made right here in Hamilton, Ohio uses natural limestone filtration to get the best tasting water in the world. 
you can visit pawneywater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Let me tell you, I, I just really love the fact that the pH level is at an eight. What do you like about this water, Reed? Uh, I'm looking right into the bottle. And normally when something's been artificially processed, you can tell. Not this one. This is natural limestone filtration. It looks great. It looks great, Casey. This is great water. It's fantastic stuff. Elliot, do you, do you have a favorite thing about this water? I sure do, Casey. And for me, it's the smoothness. When it goes down, it goes down smooth, and that's the most important part. That's what you're they always all, say. You're going to see all these other water. You're going to see all these other water brands. You're going to see all these other water brands. Casey's face Elliot is really close. When it goes down smooth. It? Casey's face is really close. Uh, when you when you when you look at all these other water brands, some of them have mountains. Some of them, you know, you're in the islands of Fiji. When you have that water, this water is so much better because it goes down smooth. And I just heard Casey gulp. <laughs> and it was great. Are you guys going to kiss? And I <laughs> can tell that it was great. That was sensual. Yeah. Get this back on the show. Get it's this not back a kid's show anymore. Get YouTube, your YouTube's uh, terms and conditions and guidelines when you do a, a show that you have to check the box and say you're not going to do. I don't know if they've been violated, but it certainly just got close. Get your coffee from UDF. Bet on Betfred. Get your technology solutions on Encore. And drink Pawnee water, guys. And that concludes the locals at 11. All right. Thank you. Yep. What are we going to talk about now? I've got a top five that's revolved around the Cincinnati Reds, if you, if you want to do that. Uh, we, yeah, we can do that. Uh, we yeah. can do that. Look at, look, at that, look at that big league move that Casey just pulled yeah, right he's there. Big time. He's big time. Yeah, let's bring it on me. So, guys. And um, girls. Molly. Girls, Molly. Sorry, Molly. And uh, I'm sure there's another female that watches this Of course this there show. is. Maybe Carrie. Not. Maybe not. Maybe not. I, don't I know. think Carrie. Maybe not. Sharon. Sharon. My grandma watches. Sharon Peters. So, yeah. Guys, um, last night, Red's got a big win. And this is coming from an outsider's perspective. This is the final week of the regular season. The Reds might be playing next week. We don't know. But I wanted to commemorate the top five moments of the Cincinnati Reds season. I wanted to bring up, just, just kind of remember, it's been an incredible year. What were the top five moments for the Cincinnati Reds this season? So without farther ado, we'll get into this. Coming in at number five on the top five moments of the Reds season, it was back when they lost to the Braves back in June, 7-6. to six. Remember how hyped everyone was? Ellie had just come up. What do the Reds do in front of a packed crowd? They compete. They come close to winning. They lost. They lost, sure, but they looked good. They looked like competitors. They were almost there, almost over the mountaintop. Didn't quite get there, but that's, I mean, that's why it's number five. It would have been lower, but they lost, so that was number five. Number four, it's kind of not one specific moment, but it certainly played into why the Reds have had success this season. It is just the Cardinals being bad. The St. Louis Cardinals, we kept talking about, oh, wait for them to turn around, the preseason favorites to win the division, and they might lose 95 ball games. So without the Cardinals being bad, who knows where the Reds would be? They never turned it around. That's number four. Coming in at number three, the third best moment of the Cincinnati Reds season was back in April when the Pirates star shortstop O'Neill Cruz got hurt. Because if O'Neill Cruz got hurt, if he, if he didn't get hurt, the Pirates might be better than the Reds. But luckily, back in April, their star, 
their star six foot five shortstop that strikes out a lot. Don't know if that sounds familiar. He couldn't play. He couldn't play. So that's that's probably the third most important thing that's happened to the Reds this year. It's, it's, it's their third best moment. Coming in at number two, reminder, this is Reds moments. These are moments that have happened to the Reds, the top five most memorable moments. Coming in at number two, happened last week, Joshua Palacios' three-run home run against the Chicago Cubs in the top of the ninth inning. Kept the Reds' season alive. You know the Reds aren't going to do it themselves. So that's number two. Joshua Palacios' home run. And coming in at number one, the best moment of the Red season, because they can't do it themselves, it's Seiya Suzuki's drop. Last night. Happened last night. Congratulations to the Reds on having the most memorable moment of their season happening 500 miles away from where they played a ball game. Trace, back to you. Well, actually, it's not going to go back to Trace. It's going to go back to the highlight. Casey, run the clip. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Let's look at this. One more time. Look at this beauty. <laughs> look at this thing. Oh, he lost it in the sun. Look oh, there's no sun out. <laughs> I love. Oh, look, look at, at him. that. Look at that. That is just disgust. Think, oh. about, think about the season that you guys have had. That your favorite moments didn't even happen when your team was on the field. It didn't even happen when your team was on the field. That's, that's awesome. Good for you guys. Good for you guys that other teams bring you more joy than your own team has brought you. Good job. See? Go now Reds. that's the part of the story where it's just not true, is it, everybody? Uh, since the Reds have been a blessing. They've been fun to watch. We love watching them, and we'll watch them again tonight. Uh, it's going to be a tall task to beat Terry Francona on his homecoming. What would this be? His retirement party, I guess. For those that don't know, Terry Francona is trying to keep it hush-hush, but it's not hush-hush at all. Terry Francona is going to retire at the end of this year. And Terry Francona, a guy that's been, uh, he's, he's been around the league for a really long time. And for all intents and purposes, he's one of the best big league managers of my generation, at least, in, and I don't know enough about baseball, quite frankly, to say ever, but I would say that uh, Terry Francona is, uh, is, is certainly a name that when you bring his name up uh, to those that are around my age, Immediately, many would say that's one of the best managers that we've got to witness. Um, moving forward, we'll see if the Red Lakes can find a way to win tonight. But moving forward, we have a stink list that I'm not sure if we've gotten to yet this week. We have st we have to go. We have a lot to do. We have we have yeah, to do we've do stink list. Uh, we have a mailbag, and we also have to go over our picks, our gambling picks yes, we from do. this past weekend. So we got a lot to do here. Well, in which short... direction would you like to take us down, Casey? Would you like to do your stink list, or do you want to do your picks, or not your picks because let's they, save those the aren't good? Casey, yeah, let's we're... save the stink list. Let's do picks let's first. Do picks. Yeah, let's do picks first because not 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 to not to spoil anything, but Elliot's just murdering everyone. So let, let's 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 talk about it because it, it's it's great. Let's start with Oklahoma versus Cincinnati. First, Mr. Moe sends a super chat in. It must be red. Kate, uh, Reed, would uh, you like I'll, to read I'll it, put it up. Put sure, it up. sure. What's it say? Uh, thank you for the nine ninety nine dollars uh, super chat. We're singing now, blow, Cubs, blow. Blow, hey, Chicago, Cubs, blow. What do you say? Zazuki can't catch because his glove's in the way. Yeah, nice. Blow, what Cubs, do you keep with the rhythm, Mr. Moe? Blow Cubs, Cubs blow. blow, blow Cubs blow. Chicago's not, not gonna, gonna win today. today. 
Go, Cubs. Blow, Cubs, blow. Yeah, I don't think you know the words of the song, Mr. Moe. Mr. Moe, it's short for Morgan. Thanks for ruining my life, Mr. Moe. Back to our picks. I thought it was a good rendition. All right. <laughs> there was football played this last Saturday. We decided to try to pick who would win and who would lose. We'll see how this ultimately ends up going. Uh, Oklahoma played UC, as we all know, first time there was a Big 12 opponent in Nippert Stadium, and it did not go the Bearcats' way. They would lose, and not only did they lose, but they would push, I guess, based off of our line. Um, that's what it was, correct? It was a push? Yep, that's a push. All right. So Bearcats lose by 14. Nobody wins. Nobody I loses. I feel like if you – everybody, Everybody's happy, kind I of. I feel maybe. like Oklahoma really covered, though. They Definitely felt get, that way. Let's, just, let's just give a loss to Elliot and give mm. us a win. Mm. I don't think that's how it works. But no, it's not me. how it works. No, it's not how it works. So let's let the troll do his troll thing. Let's go to the next pick. All right. Colorado v. Oregon. A lot has been made of this. Uh, listen, Coach Prime is a lightning rod of a figure. He's going to have times of moments where there's going to be people that want to dunk on him based off the way that he is. And there's going to be people that are going to make it seem as if everything he does is, is, the, is the perfect way of doing it. I've seen internet accounts say it's the attention to detail that Deion Sanders does this because, it, well, they've been doing that in college football for 25 years. Why are we sitting here acting like Deion's doing something different? He's not doing anything different. I think I seen a, I think I seen a, a, a tweet the other day last week about how Deion Sanders was playing the fight song as loud as he possibly could at their practice of the Oregon Ducks to motivate his team. What a great thing. Like, what are we doing here? It's pretty clear there's a lot of people on the internet that have just started following college football because of Deion Sanders, and they're just not aware of all the things that have gone on over the last 25 years. Some people get frustrated by that because it's just like, hey, who are these new people that have no clue what they're doing? But the other side would say, hey, that's always a good thing. You're bringing more and more eyeballs to the game that we all ultimately love and more times than not. If uh, more eyeballs are watching something that you enjoy, the product gets better, which should help enhance your life. That's here nor there, though, because Oregon absolutely demolished Colorado, and there was only two people in the room that decided they wanted to follow that train. Who were they, Reed? You and I. Hmm, interesting. interesting. Good for you guys. It was close. It was a close one. It was a close one. You guys almost covered. Uh, do we have a final score of that game? Uh, I love how we do these picks, and I have to sit up here and remember whether or not every team covered. It's, this is this is this is excellent. Forty-two to six. Thank you. Forty-two to six. All right. Uh, next game is going to be the Crimson Tide of Alabama against Ole Miss. Ole Miss—they're uh, just frauds every year. I don't know what to say. Yeah, every and every single year, fellas. And they kidnapped Michael Orr. And that's, I mean, that's just a fact. They didn't give him any TV money, any movie money. So you really got to feel bad for him. Sandra Bullock, you think she's an angel in that movie, but really she's the devil. Devil wears Prada, and it's Sandra Bullock in that nice. movie. So nice. nice. Sandra okay. Bullock, bad person. But Alabama covers. Alabama covers a spread. Casey, you went against the grain. You went with Jackson Fart. Well, he, he had Alabama, and he changed it. I changed it. Because mm. I was you, just trying, try I was just trying to be different and make up ground. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work this time. Also, Casey, we have a super chat from Chi Town Real Estate. Do we? Yeah, do we? we do. That you missed. You, you, I, I, I didn't you miss omitted it. it I didn't miss today. it. I put it up, but, but I can't help when people don't read it. So here we go. Oh, he's putting oh. it on me now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's my fault. It's my fault. Yeah, it, it is. is. You know what? Hey, it a is. lot of people. 
A lot of people around here, they point the finger. They don't pull the thumb. You know what I'm saying? You, you know those types of people. They're the finger pointers, and they don't pull the thumb. I guess, you know, I mean, it gets thrown up there on the screen while I'm making this, this, this elaborate, eloquent point, and I'm supposed to just stop everything I'm doing and read the Super Chat. Sometimes around here, I'm just saying, you guys have, you guys have computers. You have microphones. Well, it was actually Casey, during, during you the interview. read it. Oh, oh my I'll God, Michael Rolfe. I'll read Michael Rolfe's as well. Just one second. Let me look at this. Tritown Real Estate, September 27, morning show host, day happy holidays, fellas. Today is happy, Nash happy holiday. National Morning Host Day. Trace? Yeah. That's oh. Yeah. I don't that's think cool. that's for me. This was never my goal in life or plan was to sit behind a desk in the morning and talk about sports. Um, more of an evening person. I'm more of a night owl. I, the, the morning stuff has really almost buried me. Um, I cannot wait for Tom to be back. Michael Rolf uh, put something in the, in the chat last night that, again, for his own personal reasons, I don't want to get into that just because it was on the chat. But I really hope everything's going all right for you, Michael. I thought about you last night. And I appreciate you supporting our show and, and giving us super chats. You don't really need to do that every single day. Really, uh, you're, you're just a blessing for showing up and being supportive, as you always are, for the show. He says, uh, this show is amazing. Let's go Red Legs. Let's turn that W upside down today. Brave Reds. Beat Shane Robert Bieber. Make him throw like Justin Bieber. I've never seen Justin Bieber throw a ball, uh, but I can imagine and close my eyes on what that would look like, and the, the sight isn't all that pretty. He's a sneaky um, athlete. He's a sneaky he? athlete. Is he? Yeah, he won. I think he's won the uh, Celebrity uh, NBA All-Star Game, their tournament. I think he's won the MVP a couple times. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. But he's Canadian, so he's probably bad at baseball. I don't like that joke. Yeah, that was a tough joke. But you know what? I mean, it was a fair one, so I just kind of keep it moving. All right. Uh, thank you, Michael. Next game. The Buckeyes v. Notre Dame. We have another push, huh? We yep. have another push. Um, what a wild, what a wild scene that would have been to have been, to been sweating that game out and sweating that bet out. Ohio State's forced with one second left to have to kick the extra point when no time was on the clock at first. That's sports gambling at its finest. If you have a gambling problem, it's always called 100 Gambler. But, man. Ohio State barely covers. So, again, I don't know if there's ever been a show where we had multiple pushes, but here we are again, fellas. We'll go around the room. I know we didn't really get to spend a ton of time talking about Ohio State and Notre Dame. If we're being completely honest, I had a lot of things going on on that Friday night. As I mentioned, we had the bash during the day. I, unfortunately, then uh, – and I say unfortunately, that wouldn't be the right term. I then got an opportunity to go see a band that I love. I love the Revivalist. They play in Hamilton because uh, their lead singer is from Hamilton, and that's the only real reason they'd ever come to this uh, amphitheater, which is small. It's great, but usually when you play at Red Rocks on a Wednesday, you do not play in Hamilton on a Saturday. Um, so I went and watched them. I did not get a chance to see this game at length. I did watch the final fourth quarter on demand. So it's hard for me to give like an overall opinion on this game. I assume you guys may or may have not watched it. I know Elliot I was trying it. to yeah, watch – uh, he was trying to watch the Reds collapse that night as well, and they successfully did that. But your overall thoughts, I guess, on the game, did it live up to the hype? The score looked like it did. It was really – it was a boring first half. Um, yeah. Both offenses had a little more success in the second half. Um, this is a slant from a Notre Dame fan, but Notre Dame ran it practically down Ohio State's throat for two consecutive drives to score a touchdown, you know, just a ground and pound, as soft teams typically can't stop the run. 
And then Ryan Day uh, verbally assaulted a 90-year-old geriatric man after the game. So, yeah, it was a good game. I thought it was a good game. Notre Dame, it seemed like they dominated the entire first half, like Regis said. But it was like they would get stopped on fourth and short every time. And, and the refs would also give Ohio State catches. So if Ohio State would ever, like, catch a ball, catch a ball, they would, they would, they would rule it a catch. But you look at the replay, and the ball was all over the ground. All over the ground. So it, it, seemed, like, it seemed like the refs were on the side of, of, of Ohio State. But who am I? Who am I to say that? It was it, a good game. You're, you're, you're right. It did. It really did feel like Notre Dame dominated that game. It did. It did. They did. They did. I mean, it did. So we'll see. They did. They just had. They couldn't capitalize on their opportunities. Simple as that. And you know, your coach only having ten players on the field in the most important moments in the final. Well, that's what tough men do. I, I, that's, they put ten guys out there. Say, I guess. See if you yeah. can move a yard on us now. See if you can move a yard on us now. Tough men do that. Instead. I, Ryan Day, tough guy, tough guy, wants to fight Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz can't even pronounce S's. Lou Holtz. Lou, 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 Lou Holtz. Holtz. I mean, Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz probably can't drive himself places. He's 86 years old. He's an old guy. Notre Dame fighting Irish. And uh, fighting Ryan Irish. Day, that, that's, that, I mean, nothing says masculinity. Cincinnati. Nothing says toughness. Cincinnati. Like going after an 86-year-old man. Good for Ryan Day. Proved a lot of haters wrong. All the haters that call Ryan Day soft are now just... Just like, yeah, he's a tough guy. Hey, man, if you want to say something, just know that there might be some smoke on the way. If you don't want that smoke, don't say it. I don't care if you're 110, 96, 50, 20, 13. Lul I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for Lou Holtz. <laughs> if you think that you're looking up that, you're not going to find me saying saying, saying sorry. Mark What's Fetters so funny over there? Mark Fetters made me laugh. He said Ryan Day would drop that liver spotted geriatric. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you made me giggle. You made me break. You made me break. Congrats. <laughs> All right. Another back to college football. Step Brothers? Because this is a serious show. Uh, Florida State played Clemson and Clemson with the, the choke job of the century. Boy, what a choke job it was. I mean, you even called it. They had that they would every opportunity in the world to win that game, and I thought they would. I'm glad I didn't gamble on this game because I got to be honest, I would have if things were if it wasn't for the bash and me being busy running around, my head cut off. Then there was probably a good chance I'd have placed a sizable wager on Clemson, and it would have hurt really bad considering Clemson was up, uh, I believe, and someone can uh, fact check this. I believe Clemson was up 17 to nothing. Uh, I don't think it was can you, that. Can you I, give me what it was? I'll, I'll pull Somebody it up. Pull it I up. know that Clemson, I obviously didn't watch the game. I did gamble on it. Um, Clemson had two different opportunities to kick a game-winning field goal in the final two minutes. And uh, it, it was 10-0, 10-7, 17-7. 17-7 then. Okay. So they were up 17-7. They, they wind up losing in overtime. They find themselves in a position where they had a 30-yard field goal to win in regulation to walk it off, and they, and they missed the kick. What a shame. And by what a shame, I mean not a shame at all. Dabo Sweeney, I hate to see that happen to you. You're, you're, you're a good man. Keep up the good fight. Uh, but Florida State, Florida State are in a position now where they, uh, they got a chance to make the national championship. And by national championship, I mean the college football playoff. Ooh, we were close. Mm. All right. And here we go. I guess we're going to switch gears to the National Football League. And by close... Wasn't very close where we read. Um, we were close. Not very good at all. Uh, we took the Broncos getting six and a half points against the Miami Dolphins. As all as we all know, the final score, 70 to 20. 
and that is the most ludicrous score I've ever heard in the NFL. Can we talk about Sean Payton for a second? And I don't understand why Sean Payton gets the amount of love as some other coaches in the NFL, like wow, Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. No, he's been, he's had successful seasons, but I guess I guess I just don't get why everyone is falling. Like Sean Payton was supposed to walk into Denver, much like Russell Wilson was supposed to last year, and just solve all the problems. And that's clearly not a problem. Go look at Sean Payton's career. He had. I think seven losing seasons in Saint, in New Orleans. He was there for like 17 years. He had seven losing seasons. And, and granted, there was a bunch of 10-win seasons. But I think he's had as many losing seasons as Marvin Lewis did with the Cincinnati Bengals in the exact same amount of time. I guess I just don't understand the Sean Payton love. Yeah, he has pretty much the same record or the same coaching record as a uh, um, guy from the Cowboys, Mike McCarthy. So, yeah. And everybody hates Mike McCarthy. Everybody thinks Mike McCarthy is the worst coach in the NFL. Sean Payton, I don't know what the difference was. I guess when he won it with Drew Brees in the Superdome, I guess that was more special. But other than that, I, I, I would agree. And not to mention he was suspended for targeting people. So, <laughs> Bounty Gate. People forget about Bounty Gate. Bounty Gate was one of the wildest stories in sports. Yeah, I mean, they was. were paying people to just knock him out of the game. That's pretty wild. That was a Sean Payton move. But Casey and I, shout out us. Sean, yeah. Sean Payton had four straight losing seasons with, an, with a Hall of Fame quarterback, Drew Brees. I, I guess I just don't understand the Sean Payton stuff. Yeah, the, I think the misconception with most people is that people think that Denver's defense is still good. It's not good. Quite clearly, it's not good. Um, they're, they're, they are lacking some talent there in, in Denver. Um, the worst part about this game was seeing Garrett Bowles in that, that post-interview post in the locker room. And he's just like, we've done nothing but lose, lose, lose. It's just <laughs> kind of brutal for any uh, Denver player right now, right? It's just not good. Not good for Denver. Yeah, not ideal. Not a good spot to be in. I venture to say that uh, the folks in Denver are starting to get fed up with the system that is existing out there at Mile High. All right. I like the, I like the look of this. Uh, Chargers v. the Vikings, and the Chargers are giving a point, and I'm not sure what the final score ended up being. 28-24, I think it was. Correct, correct. And Vikings were within the red zone, I believe. Yep. Didn't score. Uh, Vikings did not score, and the Chargers held firm. They win 28-24. Myself and Elliot. Uh, two that was winners. probably my most confident pick. Two I winners. Think, I think the Vikings are not very good. I think the Chargers, despite what they show on the field at various points during the season, I think they're... Maybe not a Super Bowl contender, but they could certainly compete for the AFC Championship game. So I think the Chargers are damn good. I think I thought this was an easy spread for me, but we'll see. I just realized they had two, two yep. opportunities in the red zone. One was a turnover on downs, and then the last one was the interception to seal yep, the game. They turned they turned the ball over on downs on the two yard line. Um, got the ball back, got all the way to the six yard line. And threw an interception. The Vikings did. So they had two. They were first and goal two different times and couldn't punch it in to win the game. That, that magic's kind of gone, isn't it? That's that Minnesota. I, I, the Minnesota is the weirdest 0-3 team I've ever seen. It's the weirdest 0-3 team I've ever seen. Hmm. Moving on. What we got next? Falcons. This is my second easiest game of the week. Lions. And there's only one person that listed the Falcons on here. And, boy, I bet he's so disappointed because ultimately he was putting a lot of stock inside of this Falcons team. 
And you know what? He said that uh, you can pull back the tape, go run back the tape, but I'm pretty sure he said this is, this Lions team, you know, he's high on them last year. He's not high on them this year. Casey, I'll give you the floor. What, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I just thought uh, – I thought this Lions team – I thought defensively they were going to be in a rough spot. Um, but when you can just stack the box it's and not have to worry about the, the pass at all, it kind of – goes in your favor, and that's pretty much what happened. Why didn't you have to worry about the pass? I mean, that I'm not I'm not going to sit up here and defend Desmond Ritter. He's not an all-time great quarterback, but I think this – I'm still high on the Falcons. I think they can still get the job done and maybe sneak it in. It's just – it's I mean, hard Des, to do. Desmond it's Ritter hard was, to do. It's Desmond hard Ritter to do was 21 for 38 for 200 it's, yards. That guy's a bum. It's hard to do. I'm a UC fan. I love Desmond uh, how about, Ritter. How about it's hard to do when you're getting sacked seven times in a game? I mean, your offensive line just absolutely Joe Burrow, is just Joe terrible. Burrow managed to get to a Super Bowl. Yeah, though. but he's not Joe Burrow. It's Desmond right, Ritter. Not, I never said Desmond Ritter was a all-world-beating quarterback. I've never said that. He couldn't beat I've the said world. time and time again he's just a game manager. But when you're world. on your back he ten beat, times a game, it's really tough, world. Elliot. It's really tough to win ball games. He couldn't beat Really tough. So, regardless, Lions defensive line, they, they uh, came out and they uh, – they showed out. They, they completely six, destroyed. Four. They completely destroyed the Falcons' offensive line. Are we arguing? What are we do? What are we doing on this show? Are we arguing over the Lions and Falcons right now? Can, can, what are we doing? Well, yeah, I think both I mean, teams I, are trash, but the Lions at least are competent. How the can Falcons. We say they're I mean, listen, can we, Falcons they're, are they're a bad not, team. Falcons are a bad team. They're not Come a bad on. team. They're not a bad team. Can, can, they held. They held we, one of the best offenses in all the league. Can we just say what it is, Casey? You made a slight mistake last last show. You've said for years that the Lions are better. They're better. They're better. They're playing better. And you try to step out of your box for a half a second. You made a small mistake. Let me say something. Sometimes when you do a show and you, you talk into a microphone for what is hours upon hours every single day, I'll say it if no one else wants to say it. There's times where you say stuff and then you, and you, and you think back on it and you think, you know what? Like, that's not really actually how I truly feel. And I just got caught up in the moment. I said something dumb. You have a chance right now. I'm going to give it to you one last time. You, you just said something dumb that you don't believe, and that is that the Lions are actually a pretty good football team, and whether you want to give them credit or not, and it was just one of those weeks in the NFL where the Falcons didn't play their best football, but the Lions are still good. You want yeah, to take it or not? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, my that's, basically, that's basically what I was going to get at, is that the Lions are better than what I said last week, and it's they got a great offensive line. And I underestimated their defensive line. That's pretty much what it boils down to. I mean, they – I know I'm, I, I've been really high on the Falcons. I still have some faith in them. I don't have as much faith in them after this week. It's just I didn't realize how bad that the Falcons would play protect – like just pass protecting. It's just horrible. They were horrible. And so I think, I think the Lions, they're good. I think Jared Goff is good when he's got a lot of protection – and that's what happened. They just – I mean, they were held to 20 points. This is one of the best offenses in all football, and they were held to 20 points. So, I mean, the Falcons aren't terrible. They're not bad. They have a pretty good – they have a decent defense. It's just they couldn't get anything going offensively. All right. Shytown town wants his super chat read again. So, you know what? I'm a man of the people. I am a man of the people. shytown town has been uh, – he's been loyal to the show. So, before we get to the very next game, he wanted to say uh, we're going to go to the Supers. He said – 
Uh, September 27th, the morning show host day. Happy holidays, fellas. Shy Town Real Estate. I hope you're selling a boatload of houses. And if you if you got if you have any rentals or things like that, then you know, hey, from time to time, maybe I like Chicago. Maybe there's a chance we could work out a deal. Um, all right, uh, Michael, Michael Rolf, man. He said, "How many catches did the Panay Sewell have this week?" I saw Jamar Chase had 12. <laughs> Isn't that the hottest take that there was at the time that looks like absolute trash now? I don't care how good Pene Sewell is. Like, it's irrelevant at this point. No Jamar Chase. No Jamar Chase. And this franchise is nowhere close to what it's been the last few years. It was, it was the contrary take to say we wanted Jamar Chase. It was. We just had T. Higgins. You had were an Tyler idiot. Boyd. You didn't know ball. All right, of those Right. Things. Like Joe Burrow just blew out his knee. And they're like, you're not going to get a lineman? Are you kidding me? This guy is a potential Hall of Famer. He's a sure thing. And we're like, ah, ah, Jamar Chase looks pretty good. And I now think that Bengals fans are in love with just keep getting wide receivers in the draft. Because it's worked out. It's worked out for us. But go on. Fair enough. All right, next game in the National Football League that we picked was the Buffalo Bills versus the Washington Commanders. And I must say, I was wrong on the Commanders. I thought that they were going to compete. You know, it's a wild thing when you watch a game in the NFL and you, you try to trick your brain into thinking things. I did watch this game. I don't know why I did, but I did watch this game. The Commanders had opportunities at the beginning of the game to assert themselves and give themselves a chance to kind of be in the game. They had a chance to score a touchdown on their first drive. They blew it. They turn the ball over two or three times, I believe, inside the red zone. If you do that, it ultimately ends up not being good. You know when you're the team that's supposed to not win the game and you get a chance to, to I don't want to say to, to throw the first punch or to kind of, you can't deliver a knockout punch in the first quarter, if you will, of the commander's game. But they had a chance to stake their claim and they just failed and failed and failed. And ultimately, you knew as soon as the commanders turned the ball over, not once, but two times inside the red zone, that that was going to be the end of the day for the commanders. And it certainly was uh, the Bills. Uh, if someone has the final, it was a 37-3. Sam sided. Howe's final line, 19 for 29, 170 yards, four picks. So, no touchdowns, obviously. There you go. Just not going to win many football games when you have a guy that throws four interceptions, are you? Unless you're obviously the Jaguars and then everybody after the fact gets Trevor go. Lawrence all the credit for winning the play playoff game. But that's here nor there. Uh, I was wrong. And Reed and Elliot, you guys are both right. Congratulations over there, fellas. Thank you. I think people are forgetting how good the Buffalo Bills are. I, mean, I, I think know, they are I, too, Reed. I know that they haven't done great things in the postseason for the past two years. Went to the AFC Championship three years ago. But they've won their last two games seventy-five, a total of 75-13. to 13. Um they're playing really good football. They're one of the best teams in the AFC. I don't know what else to say. Just don't sleep on the Bills. I know we're kind of tired of them, but don't sleep on them. They're still very, very good. I mean, I, what I'll say about this game, Trace, I think I think we had the right idea that, I mean, Josh Allen didn't really win this ball game. The offense for them didn't really win the ball game. Their defense just absolutely murdered the commanders, just shellacked them. And uh, that 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 was the reason why they won this ball game. What and we we our reasons for picking the Commanders is because we have doubt about Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen still had a turnover this game. Like all the things that we said that would happen actually came true. It's just when you give the ball over four times and your quarterback is Sam Howe and your offensive line is terrible, the all offense for the Commanders is terrible. That's what happens. They scored cool. thirty-seven points, Casey. Go on. 
They have you picked a game, right? Hey, scored two I follow what Casey's logic says there. I know it's easy to just look at this box score and be like, oh, yeah, but, but, but I mean, I get it. It's one of those I'm, things I'm, where this offense from the commanders, if they were able to find a way to score a couple different times in the red zone at the very beginning of the game, like they had every chance in the world to do, I think the game goes differently. I do. But that's not how it goes. It's not how it works. Uh, ultimately, they, uh, the Bills just beat the brakes off the commanders and we move forward. All right, Ravens v. Colts. Boy, oh boy, did I not see this happening. I thought the Ravens yeah. I thought the Ravens were in a spot where they could take advantage of their start so far in the, uh, in the AFC North. They had a chance, quite honestly, to kind of create some really good distance between them and the rest of the pack, uh, with at least the Bengals, that is, and they just weren't able to. They lose, Bengals win, Bengals sit just a game back. Um... Who knows how it ultimately ends up going, but this might be one of those games you circle back at the end of the year if you're a Ravens fan and you think, wow, almighty, just like, the, just like the Pittsburgh Steelers game last year for the Bengals, whether it ends up being because it cost them the AFC North, whether it's because they did not get a chance to have a home field playoff game, whatever that reason is, this seems like the game you circle at the end of the year for the Ravens as to how did we not win this game. They do this, it feels like every year, I think last year they I'm, – I'm pulling up their – You're right. Their record. But they, they just had a game where they just – they lost to the Giants last year, early on in the year. Um, they just – they do this seemingly every year. They just have a game that you just can't quite understand why they lost. That's the NFL. That's the NFL. I still think the Ravens are um, probably the best team in the AFC North. They're banged up pretty bad. But, yeah, they, they have a lot of injuries. They've – I have never seen a team have the injury bug quite like the Ravens have had – over the past few seasons, and it's not that they are they lack depth. It's just at some point, so many injuries overtake the depth. And uh, yeah, I still think they're a good team, but man, maybe Casey's onto something with the Colts being a little better than than people have perceived. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't pull the trigger. I, honestly, the reason why I picked the Ravens was because Elliot was like, "Dude, they're not playing. Uh, Richard Richardson's not playing this game. I mean, they're not going to play anybody." I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to make the dumb. I'm not going to make the dumb pick here. here I don't want to look like the idiot picking the Falcons against the Lions." Yeah, here and so the, that I just missed. I just missed on two games here that just really, really uh, hurt my case. But the the Colts' defense is pretty darn good. It is. It's it's underrated. They've got a great front seven. I think Lamar was asked to do too much this game with a bunch of banged up guys, you know, like I, I agree with that point. Like they don't have any, anyone on off on the offensive line. Their running backs are all banged up. It was just too much. It was just yeah, too so much for them. Yeah. So here, here was the injuries for that game alone. Odell Beckham jr. Was out justice Hill out Marlon Humphrey out Tyler Linderbaum, their center out uh, Odafe away out linebacker, Ronnie Stanley, offensive tackle out Marcus Williams out. Yeah. I couldn't imagine losing to the Ravens when they had that many injuries. Okay, that's fair. It's a fair point by Reed. I mean, listen, the Ravens, this is the NFL. That's why I said last week. It's one of those things where you think, as soon as you think you know this league, you don't. I mean, there's always going to be these one-offs. Do we think the Cardinals and the Cowboys, if they played 10 times, that the, that the Cardinals are going to win more than twice? I don't. Now, you might say that they will. I don't know. But my point is, is that it can happen any given Sunday or any given, uh, yeah, any given Sunday is a reason there's a name for it. There's a reason that... That exists, and uh, this is why this league is very, very, very fun to watch. All right. Um, I'm not, I guess my point is I'm not buying into the idea that the Ravens are anything less than what we thought about them before. 
Maybe I'll give the Colts a little bit more credit. And you know what? The one thing I'll say about the Colts, that makes that division a little more interesting, though. Yeah. It really does. I, we, we, we just assumed, passed off the fact that Jaguars were going to run away with that division. Yep. We just assumed that they were very, very good. The fact that the Colts are going to be, you know, a serviceable team, that makes that division much, much more interesting. And it would be interesting to see how that all goes. Hell, I, I, there was another program, obviously another talk show guy. Uh, no free ads to him. Uh, although I do think that his takes are very interesting, and I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a semi-fan. Uh, we had people out here saying the Jaguars were going to get the number one seed in the AFC just because of how, how bad their division is. And right now, if we're being honest, that division's not looked all that horrible. And the, would it be crazy to think the Jags might not even win the division? That might be a little bit of a stretch, but we'll see. It seems like every narrative in the NFL, more than 50% of them do not come true. You yeah, know, no, no Justin Fields being the MVP... The Bears being probably one of the teams to win the uh, NFC North. Are these all Bears scenarios? The, <laughs> one of those things where the, the offensive line of the Bears were going to be a little bit better. <laughs> DJ Moore was going to finally have a, a franchise-type quarterback to play behind. Yeah, all these scenarios. All of those types of narratives that, that you go hear. across the league. That's that the, the league. The, 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 <laughs> the league. Those things that just are widespread that everybody talks about. It's just like more than half of those never even come true. Could the, could the AFC South be like the NL Central of football? To where everyone could was, be, yeah. could, was so low on them. One team, you know, just go ahead and give them the division. And all of a sudden, I mean, the Colts look a little better. The Titans, you could, I mean, could you right. see the Titans sneak in? I know they don't look look great right now, but could you see the Titans win 10 games? Sure. Could be, could be surprising. People forget the Titans have DeAndre Hopkins and they can't use them because they don't have a quarterback. You guys are forgetting the Texans, man. I am forgetting the Texans. You are correct. CJ Stroud, man. I mean, he's been balling out. Been balling out. He hasn't had a turnover all season. Four touchdowns, 900 yards. I mean, that, that team has, like, no weapons whatsoever, and he's still balling out. Yeah, so. Texans will get Caleb Williams next year. Whew. At least they'll be in the, the running for him. Bad. No. They'll get Marvin Harrison. Reunite CJ with him. All right, so what are our pick records? Pick records, I don't have them right in front of me because they're on that book that is out. Outside, but I do know that's brutal. I do know, Elliot, you are 23, 11, and 2. Trace is 14, 14, and 2. Reed and I are tied at like 13, 20, yes, 2, and yes. 2. And uh, Tom is 14, 21, and 2. So, all right, you guys don't know ball. Stink list. stink list, yeah, we do have a stink list, and this stink list is coming to you courtesy. Of Casey McAllister. We'll see how stinky it is. Usually it's pretty stinky. Yep, it's a stinker, all right. This one, this one is a this one's a doozy. I was gonna go all out for this one. Uh, turns out you can't have a ton of uh, logos and images on your tier list and a couple other things. So it's another team's just a straight up team list. Bengals number one, they're back, baby. They're all the way back. Joe Burrow just lit up the Rams last week. <laughs> Miami 70 points. Obviously, they're up there too. And San Francisco, yeah, they're just undefeated. I mean, the Cardinals, they just absolutely destroyed the Cowboys. Cowboys are frauds. They're just terrible. They stink. Cardinals though, man, Josh Dobbs. You can do stuff. You can you can really get you. You can really get you going. Do you really believe in really Josh Dobbs? You really believe in Josh Dobbs? I mean, he Man, he's he's Don't had his team. Trap. He's it's had his trap. It's a Jake Browning trap. Don't he's do it. had his team in an opportunity to win ball games every single week. 
We all wrote, wrote off this Cardinals team. I don't know, man. I don't think they're that bad anymore. I don't think they're as bad as people are making them out to be. And, of course, we got the Colts. Thank God they beat the, the stinky Ravens. And uh, the Falcons, they dropped to stink. They really disappointed me. Um, Chargers, Chargers, they, they're almost out of the stink. They're almost out of the stink, but they beat a team that turns the ball over 400 times a game. So, yeah, Vikings, they drop all the way to nauseating. They're just – I don't know what the deal is with that. I think they just have really bad luck. And then, uh, yeah, the, the – the, the Cowboys the are nauseating. Cowboys, they just they – just, Browns are nauseating. They, they just – I don't know what it is, man. They just always find ways to lose ball games. They always find ways to two have players one. get hurt They're in practice, and, and they two just and stink after that. Two and one. And, you know, the the – the Bears, they're the worst team in the league, but when your team gives up 70 points in a game, you deserve to be at the very bottom. And, of course, we have the Browns, who just, they're nauseating, man. That's the stink list for week three. Any thoughts, the, guys? Yeah, what's the explanation for the Cowboys again? Um, they lost to uh, Josh Dobbs, and they uh, always find they're, ways to... Yeah. They always find ways to lose yeah. big games when it matters. When when mm. Dak Prescott has the ball in his hands, sure. and he's got to go make a play. He always turns out to uh, throw an interception here the or fumble the, the ball again, there. Right? They're uh, two and one, but they they, one. they they still yes. stink, man. They they they're just the worst. They're not going to do anything. They're going to get to the end of the season. They're going to be twelve and five or whatever record they they might have. They're going to give up a forty point game here and there, and and people are going to say. Man, watch out. This team's feisty. They got Deck Prescott back there. And then they're going to play a team like the Eagles or the 49ers. And, and then they're going to only score six points and lose the ballgame. See, Casey's smart. He's putting the Cardinals, and he should have put the Titans up on the top of the stink list. It's like number one contenders, right? Because that's who we play the next two weeks. Oh, yeah. Bengals. So, I mean, he's, he's just he's just building a fight. That's all he's doing. He's building a fight. He's selling it. Selling the pay-per-view. I love it. I love it. it. Good I, for Casey. Smarter than you guys give him credit. He is, he is smart. I, I, I want to talk about this real quick. So just some generic sports debate. What the hell is the NFL doing having two Monday night games? That's got to end. It's got to stop. That's got to stop. We we stop. It's eyes. horrible. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I And listen, and it's like. I'm you, only have one. I, I guess their, their, their thing is like you watch the first game. Uh, when that gets to halftime, you watch the start of the other one, and then you watch the end of that first game, and then you get come back to the other one for the end of that one. But it's like if, if the only way to do it, I think we were all talking about it before the show on Monday, it's like you have to have one, one, of, the sh one of the games start at 5 or 6, and the other one has to start at 8 or 9. That's, you, that's the only way to do it. And if they did it that way, of course I would watch. But right now it's terrible. Two games going on at once, well, you just can't do it. The worst part about that was the Bengals – and the Eagles, I guess, were both in the red zone at the same time. And they split-screened to where you can hardly see either game going on at the same time. That was just terrible. What was ESPN doing there? I could like I was just like, what are we doing? I want to watch the Bengals game. I would go to the. I hate the split screen thing, man. Like, like I get that it's they're not marketing just for Cincinnati. Like people in Cincinnati, um, people in LA probably just wanted to watch the the Bengals Rams game. They didn't care. But if I want to watch a split screen, I'll go to a channel where that happens. Right? Yeah, like, like if, just focus on your thing. Also about primetime broadcast, Amazon's got to figure it out. Amazon's bad. Amazon, their broadcast is bad. But I am excited to see Jordan Love play tomorrow. Truly. I have not seen Jordan Love play, so I'm excited to see how good he is. Looks like a bum. I mean, it should be a good game. It will be a good game. I think it'll be a good game. Um, the Packers' defense usually has stepped up. Of late, 
We'll get into that game a little bit tomorrow. I think the Lions are still a pretty good team. I think they're the best team in the uh, the NFC North, so it's hard for me to sit here and say that I think that the Packers are going to win that football game. Uh, Packers are in a position now where Jordan Love, you got to figure out whether or not uh, he's going to be a franchise quarterback or not. And so far, um, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant surprise. It's a pleasant surprise. It reminds me, and again, it seems kind of wild to be able to say these types of things, and then you go back and you're like, ah, it's overreactionary. But you know what? There's a lot of Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. Is he going to be Aaron Rodgers? Probably not. I mean, it just seems unrealistic. It also felt unrealistic after Brett Favre to have Aaron Rodgers. It certainly feels unrealistic after Aaron Rodgers to have another Hall of Fame or and or really good quarterback. Um, but the Packers defense has uh, has started to play really, really well, and we'll see if that continues. But the NFL, uh, for the for, for my money, they they know marketing really, really well. They've missed on that. They they've missed on that. That. That feels like if they were going to do that, they they sprinkle that in every so often, which I think that they're probably doing that now, right? They're not doing two Monday night football games every single week, right? Or am I, am I completely it's just, wrong it on should, that? They should be the last one, I think. Okay, Is well, regard, even regardless, like it should be to what we were saying before. If they're going to do two Monday night football games, it needs they to be an one. East Coast game. It needs to be an East Coast game that starts at 6.15, in my opinion. And you start a West Coast game that is like, you know, a, a Niners Raiders, you know all the West Coast teams, Cardinals, whoever it may be over there, um, and they start their game at, let's call it, 8.30. And then at that point, you can make a decision on if you want to watch the very end of one game, and then as soon as that game's over, you get to watch, for the most part, the full game on the West Coast. And most people, which is the vast majority of this country that watches sports, like it or not, are on the East Coast. That is the vast majority of the population that consumes sports is on the eastern time zones of this country. And I don't know why things aren't kind of catered more and more to this time zone. I get that if you start a super, the Super Bowl has started to do that, fellas. It used to start at, you know, later in the night. They started to start that Super yeah. Bowl right around six o'clock now. And you're like, all right, this is very much more enjoyable. Uh, there was one thing that I do remember when I went to Colorado. One, it was beautiful. Yes, I, 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 I loved Colorado. But the thing that I remember the most, which is a little ridiculous if we're being honest, was my love affair, my affinity for the fact that when I was out there, I got to watch sports at like 10 in the morning. And it was just, I mean, that's just elite. That's yeah. elite. What an elite time zone that is to watch sports. You think it's better than the uh, Pacific time zone to where you get 9 a.m.? Yeah, it's better. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want, well, put it this way. I don't want to watch a primetime game. Actually, I don't 10, want yeah. that starting at like 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock. Um, I much prefer it being just one more hour. Might not seem like a big difference, but if you watch Reds games on a regular basis, how terrible is it to have to start a game at 6:10 versus 7:10? So, Fair I don't enough. know. We've got some we've got uh tomorrow's primetime games good. It's going to be Lions uh Lions Packers. Lions Packers, but the Sunday and Monday night game are kind of duds. Sunday night is Zach Wilson yeah, against they the Chiefs. Yeah, on that. Yep, they thought that was going to be a good one and it should have been. Yeah, this but, is the, the are the Jets the uh, the Jets are the new Broncos this year. Right. The Jets are the new Broncos. Correct. So last year the Broncos were this fancy high flying team with Russ. Oh, let Russ cook, and uh, boy he cooked. Um, and then this year now it's going to be well we thought Aaron Rodgers was there now we got to watch Zach Wilson play. Zach Wilson uh, for a guy that did he deserve this? I mean I know he's terrible. He's in the NFL. He gets paid a lot of money. But man for a guy that was just living awesome a month and a half ago, right? Like. Oh, he gets a new lease on life. He gets to learn. He gets to he gets to be able to be behind Aaron Rodgers, get a little bit of uh, 
get a little bit of learn in the ropes type mentality. You don't have a lot of pressure on you. You literally can't do no wrong as the backup quarterback. Now he gets thrusted into this team right back in uh, square one again, and he looks atrocious. And on top of that, not only does he look atrocious, but he didn't even get a chance to, to, to practice with the first team reps all season long. And he gets thrown in there to the Wolves. And now Zach Wilson for what was hopefully a season where he could just go hang out in New York, get paid a lot of money, um, and enjoy his life. Now is the sole reason as to why this Jets team is not going to get to where they need to get to. And there's reports that the that Salah's uh, – I think that's his name, right? Salah's. Salah? Sala, yeah, Sala. However you pronounce it. Either way, the Jets head coach, the, he's losing the locker room, mm -hmm. uh, apparently, because he's continuing to stick with Zach Wilson, and literally everybody on the roster knows Zach Wilson isn't a good quarterback. So that's a tough place to be in. I, I don't think, I don't know who their third string is. I was going to say, does, what's his options? Uh, let me look, let me look. Because I don't think he has another option. Um, on Monday, they we haven't, have... I think Colin Kaepernick requested to join the team. I saw that, too. That'll go over well. Colin Kaepernick hasn't been in the league for 200 years. Uh, quarterback depth chart, it's Zach Wilson, and it is Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle. Mm. Packer great Tim Boyle. Boyle time. Isn't it wild how how thin the, the, the depth is in the NFL for quarterbacks? Like, it genuinely is wild. Like, there can't be a situation where there's this many humans on earth that play football. And you genuinely can't find 30 of them that are worth a shit. That's why it's the most important position I in I get sports. that, but it's just wild. I'm just saying, like, it just seems crazy that that actually exists. Like, there's not enough human beings on this earth that can do the things you need to do in the NFL at a decent rate to just fill 30 spots. That's why I think that it would be awesome if the USFL – and the XFL could be kind of a minor leagues because it just gives more opportunities for guys that are borderline guys. Like maybe guys that didn't go, maybe guys that are like uh, you know Aaron Rodgers who went to Cal or these quarterbacks that, that don't, wow, don't wow people with their arm strength that go to these small schools. They have a chance to go professional and you know thrive professionally. And then these NFL teams can go like, all right, you can be our backup. And then watch them in practice. It just gives more opportunities to – for more guys to, to thrive in a professional setting because very few even get the opportunity. Kevin but, brings up a hot take in the chat. He says that's because football is a sport for people who aren't good at other sports. Whoa. And you know what? There's a little bit of truth behind that. It is crazy. It is wild because it's just very much just a masculine, how strong can you be, how fast can you be sport. And, yeah, I'm not suggesting for a second they're not talented people out there. Of course, there's, there's, a, there's a certain population of the NFL where you have the most – ultimate athletes there are in the entire world playing the sport but it is kind of crazy when you watch uh, who was I watching the other day try to hit a golf ball I think it was like a defensive lineman from the Eagles trying to hit a golf ball and it was the most atrocious thing I've ever seen in my life it's like this guy's getting paid millions upon millions of dollars to play a sport and he can't even he can't even touch the ball trying to hit it uh yeah Peyton Manning one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time some people think he's the GOAT not very athletic couldn't run very fast. Couldn't jump very high. Like, couldn't do those things very well. It's it's crazy. I mean, football is, is a different sport than the rest of them. Basketball is pure athleticism. Yeah, it's kind of wild to think of who, 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 what sport base has the best athletes. Oh, that's easy. Um, it's basketball. 
you think it's basketball, and I'm not sure that it is. I actually think that it could be, and I know this is going to be a very biased take, but I, I think it could be baseball. Well, baseball... I think it could be baseball. There are some people that I played with, and this is where you get into the whole thing, like the debate of you know, what level of baseball did you play versus how much you know and all this other stupid stuff you see sometimes. But it's just like I played with some unbelievable athletes in baseball and some basketball players that weren't all that athletic. But I also did, to be fair, play with some baseball players where God, honestly, and they were all pitchers. I know that's a, I know that's a hype. I know that's a thing. I know people <laughs> are like every, not every pitcher, but the vast majority of pitchers that I played with mm-hmm. were just terrible athletes. Yeah, they could throw the ball hard. They, they had one thing they were good at. They life. can all golf. They were, they were all good at that one thing. And they can all golf. There are some that can, yes, but they can't all golf. No. I'll push, I'll push back on this. People are saying here that baseball have the most well-rounded athletes. Yes. If you take an MLB player and you throw them in the NFL or, or throw them in the NBA, they'll probably compete better than an NFL player would in the MLB or an NBA player would compete in the MLB. But that's just because baseball is such a skill-based sport. It's, it's not how fast can you run, how high can you jump like basketball is. It's not how strong are you, how fast can you run like football. It is a, it is a very skill-based sport to where it, doesn't ta- it takes actually decades of honing a craft as opposed to basketball. I mean, you can teach a, you can teach a, a really good athlete basketball. I mean, he might not master it for years, but you can get him competitive in basketball relatively quickly. Basketball has the best athletes because it's the sport is literally your athleticism and how high can you jump, how fast can you go, like those things directly correlate to basketball. But I feel like there's a lot of there's a position in basketball where it's like if you're nine feet tall, you get that job. That's true. There's no like doubt that, about that. There's no other sport like that where it's like if you're tall well, and you and you possess no football is not like that. You have to six, move. You have a six foot seven, three hundred and thirty pound dude. He's going to be pretty competitive as a as an as yeah. An, yeah. He has to be athletic. Look at the those, pe- those people are far more athletic than Taco Fall. Who made it to the NBA because he was seven nine? You're right. There's always an exception to every rule. I mean, Basin here says uh, you can be overweight and play baseball. Try that in any other sport. Well, I mean, I I, I disagree. I don't I don't, well, I don't know that many other I don't know that many overweight baseball players that are relatively that have good careers that aren't pitchers, which goes to my point. Like most of the athletes, um, you know, again, you take I put it this way, this is a fun debate. I don't know if you'd ever be able to prove it. You take the five best athletes from each of the individual sports and you ask them to play a round robin of sports in the Olympics, I think I'm going to take the baseball crowd. I am because I think that the, the, that playing a swing sport, uh, the toughest skill to develop, in my opinion, for sports itself is a swing. It's a swing itself. Now, you could say golf, you could say baseball, but most baseball players that are athletic are going to be decent at golf. They might not be great because they don't practice a lot, but they're going to be decent. And then you add in all the other things. I just don't know if you could take Jamar Chase and say, hey, we're going to play 10 different sports. Is he going to beat Ellie De La Cruz? Those are two unbelievable athletes. But I would just venture to believe that Ellie De La Cruz more than likely is going to be better than, than Jamar is at all these variable sports. Does it matter? No. At the end of the day, does it, should, should it be like, oh, this guy's better than that guy because of that? No. But it's a fun little debate. Certainly, when you're trying to fill time on a sports talk show on a Wednesday. Who do you think? Uh, who do you think? On uh, September 27th. Who do you think would do better in 10 different sports, Patrick Mahomes or Ellie De La Cruz? I think Ellie De La Cruz would. Okay. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz is much, much faster. But you're also picking Patrick Mahomes. Like, Ellie throws the yeah, ball. Yeah, you, you picked the what most athletic baseball, or baseball player that you could think of. Yeah. And I, I, and I was thinking, like, there's several quarterbacks. Like, if you take a quarterback, 
more often than not, under a lot of quarterbacks get drafted in the MLB. So I think if, if you yeah, take Russell the Russell Wilson's a good one, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, Kyler. Know, yeah, like all these guys. I mean, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston was uh, was the closer for Florida right. State. So I, I, I think if you take these these quarterbacks, then, yeah, they're, they're going to compete in a lot of sports. Yeah, which you just decided to pick. And, and rightfully so. I mean, you can't pick and choose here. But we, we, we picked every single player from the NFL at a position that requires the most skill and not athleticism. It's not like you go pick a bunch of tight ends. And there are some tight ends that have, have, have a basketball background, which makes me in a little bit diminish what the NFL is. Like Jimmy Graham can just pick up football and, and decide he's going to play at the end of his college career, and he ends up being a great tight end. Tony Gonzalez, all these guys that grew up playing basketball and then they decide to play football and they become elite. I'd love to see, and I'll wait for it, I'd love to see, I guess, somebody that decides they want to pick up baseball after college and be like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go play baseball. That's largely because it's more of a skill-based thing. I get it, but I think that's the ultimate. I think that's where we're arguing, and it depends on what we're arguing. I don't know if we're arguing anything worth of crap anyways. We're probably not, but my point is it's, it's – it's much more easy for a baseball player, in my opinion, to transition to other sports than it would be for any other sport to transition to baseball because it's all skill-based. It's very much less about athleticism as it is just how good can you be at a specific skill. All right. Um, enough goofy sports talk because that's oh. basically all that is. It, gets, be it leads goofy, to nowhere. Casey, you want to add to that conversation I, at all? I was just going to say the, the football thing. Like Athletes in football, you have a way more diverse – physical traits pool than any other sport in my opinion you got guys yeah, that are no five doubt. five no doubt one like two 200 pounds running the football and then you got a guy that's six nine 345 pounds at tackle i mean I've, yeah if we're fighting I've, ufc i'm taking football players every single day. i think both things can be true i think if you take baseball players and then in, in the scenario in which you you brought out there and said which sport would be good at other sports it's clearly baseball because a lot of people wouldn't be able to play baseball because it's such a skill-based thing that it takes decades to master. Um, but on the other hand, if we're just listing measurables in terms of pure athleticism, how fast are you? How, how high can you jump? Those kind of things. Then I think it's basketball, how the best athletes. But I think both things can be true. I digress. Wrap up the show. You're telling me to wrap up the show. I have uh, breaking news. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Is this real? This is real. Yeah. I'm looking at the calendar now. Uh, Tom is going to return full-time on October 9th. October 9th. So that will not be this upcoming Monday, but it will be the following Monday. Nice. Tom Brennan will be back full-time. He has a clean bill of health, and I am reading he is going to do some hits in the meantime. So he'll be calling in, or we will call him in, however you want to call it. He'll come, he'll come on as a guest to his own show. Uh, so we'll have him on this full next week, and then he'll be back in here in the chair full-time starting on October 9th. So that's awesome. That's good news. Um, all right. Well, I don't know if we have one. Well, I do think we have one. We have a United Dairy Farmers cherry on top, don't we, Casey? I know what it is. I know you might it, have already seen it. I know what it is too, Casey. You might have already seen it. But I think, you know, just for the fun of it. Can we do a different clip from that, sh from that game? We'll, we'll okay. end the show with the United Dairy Farmers cherry on top. Brought to you by the Northsiders from Chicago.
What a fun baseball play. For those of you that didn't see it, let, let's watch it. Oh, thanks. Time. Ball's in the air. Game's over. Season's over. Reds lose. Oh, <laughs> no. Damn. Can we, can we do the clip where Brandon Godden says that the Braves go from Johnson to hand and the batter will be Master Boney? That's a good clip. No, I don't think we'll do that. All right. Well, you know the deal. We do this show every single day, Monday through Friday, from 10. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Go ahead. To 12. P. Which means we'll be back here better than ever tomorrow. At 10 a.m., we hope to see you all here. I don't know why you'd come back, but God God willing, we hope you do. Take care. We love you all. We'll try to do a better show tomorrow. See you, everybody.